right. Welcome to another episode of the Late Night Show here from uh, the Nights of Last Call. Uh, this is uh, Derek. Bob. William. What am I? I mean, you could be Smith. All right, I'm Smith. All right, Smith. Agent Smith. Agent Smith. All right, we've got the last of the Abunida Scotch for our third episode. So cheers, boys. Yeah, let's get some more. Or we're going to move the whiskey next. I don't know. Yeah, Bourbon. I, something. Mm. We don't seem to be a wine group. I don't like wine. I, I like wine. I like wine, but I feel like it takes a long time. This is not a wine show. Right. We a, do a lot of whining on this show, but it's not a wine show. A, that is very true. Checks out. It does check out. All right. Well, uh, so if you've uh, joined us before, um, the late night show is just an opportunity for us here, the night's last call, uh, uh, to sit around and kind of wax philosophical about role playing games and uh, get into some nerd, you know, nitty gritty nerdy stuff. Kind of talk about whatever comes to our mind. A little bit longer running, and uh, of course, uh, no cameras. So just a, it's an easier process for us in general. So. I have a couple things I want to talk about. Oh, good, boy. Because I have a couple on my list, too. Oh, do you? Great. Uh, I, had, I had some from the Discord, some that you guys talked about, I think, and then uh, one from Twitter. Well, let, okay. Let's maybe start off with some, some softballs. But, but, you know, as a, as a sneak preview, uh, I have recently had the opportunity to finally play Pathfinder 2. How's that going? And uh, I made a fighter. I think fighters are really great. I like hitting. Um, I like being successful. And my fighter ultimately... Uh, did did die in what was essentially a, a extreme plus encounter. Mm-hmm. So the Pathfinder two math checks out. It was tight. Math is tight. Math is tight. Uh, and my character died. And it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to play next because, and we can get into some of the challenges for that. But I ultimately decided on a new character, uh, Magus. And we uh, we played just uh, two days ago, Friday. How's that? Uh, he died. <laughs> Almost everyone. Died. Okay, yeah, it sounds like a dick. And. Um, Smith here uh, on the podcast was the game master for both of these Oof. sessions. And I want to talk a little bit about my experience playing Pathfinder 2 from the other side of the screen and try to understand what this game is trying to accomplish. What are the tools that it uses to accomplish that or try to accomplish that? And does it succeed mm-hmm. or fail horribly? Or critically fail. Or critically fail. Critically fail. <laughs> that's a that's a good that was a good segue, a sneak preview. So we'll get to that here in a little bit. But before we get too far, and of course, that probably will lead to a tangent that leads to a tangent that leads to a tangent. Yep. But before we get into that, uh, Bob, you said you uh, you had some questions that, that came in on Twitter. There's one definitely on the Twitter, okay. and uh, I actually, I think it was actually a decent question. Um, uh, it said, "What are the discussions? What about a discussion on spell components? Are the cheap ones good for role playing?" Or like ammunition, generally pointless and largely ignored. Are the costly ones useful for limiting the spell? Or again, generally pointless. That's a good question. That is a good question. Well, let me ask. Let me address one core element of their question mm-hmm. first: the pointlessness of ammunition. I agree with that. In a modern day game context, mm-hmm. if your game is about survival, if your game has an element of going off into the wilds and sort of doing, you know, what we would now consider to be like a, a backpacking or hiking expedition, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're, you know, uh, if you're, you know, Sir Mallory and you're trying to get to, you know, the top of Mount Everest for the first time or whoever it was that went to Antarctica for the first time, trust me, supplies aren't trivial and meaningless. They're everything. And so if you're in a game where supplies matter, where rations 
dwindle, torches dwindle, uh, every arrow matters, then it is very important. I keep track of all mine. But in most modern day games where encumbrance is oft ignored or forgotten, where you're constantly in and out of sort of resupply depots, where that survival element of the game is very minimal, because even the mechanics of the game itself imply that you are, you know, healed to full after every fight. Yeah. It does get to a point where you're like, so wait a second, my body can restore itself to full, but not my arrows. It just seems a bit silly. And then most importantly, we've gotten to the point in the game now where your entire class might be structured around your ability to shoot arrows. Right. And so if you run out of arrows, it's basically like saying, well, you, can't play you don't that, get to play the game. That guy came up in the session the other day, right? Um, I'm not familiar with the role, but third edition used to be like 50% chance if your arrow missed that it broke. If it hit, it broke. Yes. And Pathfinder 2, you mentioned that that's I don't not think the case. That is not the case. There certainly is no rule about your ammunition, uh, unless it's magical, right? being expended. Magical is expended. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. You know, but I mean, look at, you know, look at Lord of the Rings films, right? I mean, yeah, Legolas did Legolas, slightly more than 20. Though it's funny because in the book, they explicitly call it out that he runs out of arrows and then it's all knife work from here. Right. Whereas like, you know, you look at Legolas, he's, he doesn't have any other equipment on him. He basically right. has a bow, a knife, a long knife or a pair of not long knives, yeah. a quiver with maybe 20 arrows tops. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, he shoots 20 arrows he, he, in the one scene in, in Fellowship of the Ring, the extended version. Yeah. I think he shoots 13 arrows in like a five second period. So in now, game terms, he would be done. Yeah. By default, spell components are not a consumable in the way ammunition is. That is correct. It's my understanding that probably once upon a time, technically in first edition. First edition before, yeah. You know, you actually was. had to be like, I have to have written down on my character yes. sheet, I have a bit of sulfur. We played and like a bit one of, game And like a bit once. of bat guano. If I want to be able to cast fireball, yeah. I need to have a little pinch of this and a little pinch of that. Third edition, Very, it became a bag. Third edition, it gold. just became That's one. That's what I think it is now. Yeah, it just yeah. became a material a sort of, component pouch. And it, it covered all non-specific non yeah. uh, costs right. um, of a material Anything that was a gold or less. So, so at that from that point of view, it is, number one, strictly a role-playing thing. Um, well, I mean, the uh, semantic component portion of it matters. Well, okay, material component. Yeah, okay, let's take another example of it. You, so, you have to have the bag. You, you do have to have the bag. In Pathfinder 2, or focus, or focus for classes that can use a focus in exchange of the material. But is that really a mechanical thing, or is that just them putting a mechanical thing on flavor? So, uh, like, it, not quite Pathfinder 2. For example, but, sorcerers don't have that. Right. And does that, is that like part of their mechanical balance? Like, did sorcerers get weaker somewhere else because they gave them that right. option? I don't think they did. So, uh, I mentioned before the podcast, um, uh, Jeremy Crawford, the designer for Fifth Edition, actually had a podcast about this. Okay, about material components. About material components, because this is a common question that gets asked. And you know, his response, and you know, I think this could probably transfer to Pathfinder too, as well, since these games are effectively the same yeah, they ancestry, get, they get the same DNA. Yeah, he was like, it's absolutely for for role playing. Um, the the balanced portions of it will come into the types of components, right? So, uh, if you're silenced. You can't use a verbal spell, and that is a part of the game balance. Sure, part of the consequences of the game. Same thing with material, and uh, you know, but more specifically, um, if if a spell has a material component that is expensive, that is game balance. Yes, you have to have that item uh, to cast a spell. Uh, but then other things, no. And in fifth edition, it's a little bit uh, looser than what it seems to be to be in Pathfinder Two, in that 
um, a material component is interchangeable with a focus. Some classes can do that in Pathfinder too. Like you know, the Megas can use the weapon. Uh, you don't have to have a spell component bag. You can use that. You can use you can supplement additional yes. somatic components uh, in order to supplant material components. Right. Uh, and in fifth edition, you can basically use a focus to replace all material components. So right. if your thematic style is Harry Potter wizard, where you think you, the idea you need of pulling out back Wano, you can use your wand for everything. Right. I guess the question is like the same way that so, but. There is obviously a mechanical component to that, which is if a sorcerer, uh, let's use the Knights of Last Call. Yeah. If Gwildor, a wizard, and Burl, a sorcerer, were taken prisoner and thrown into a prison cell, stripped of all their belongings, left in rags, they awake the next morning from their unconsciousness. Right. Gwildor is going to have a hard time casting spells right. that require a material component. Right. Whereas Burl can cast all of his spells. Right. So it definitely seems like it has a mechanical consequence. How often does that actually come up in the game? Right. Uh, probably fairly rarely. But it does mean something. It does mean something. My question is, sh should it mean something? Like, I get that it's a part of the game, but I don't really think they were intending it to be like a balancing factor. Like, are wizards stronger because they have this downside balanced against the sorcerer? Well, yeah, that's an interesting thought, right? Because is this a balance thing? Because it doesn't. It doesn't feel doesn't like a feel like it. So, so I do think that that is it's clearly more a disadvantage, on the right? It's clearly it a disadvantage. Is. Yeah, right. But what I'm saying is, you're taking a disadvantage to gain a unique oh, quirk of your spell well, casting. Well, are you taking a disadvantage, or is that just the no, nature I mean, of what it is? It, it, that's what I'm saying. But I'm saying, like, I, I, I kind of flip it around for a moment, right? Yeah, like oh, uh, okay. you attack a skeleton with a rapier. Yeah. I'll give you. I'll give you a better example. Like, it, it, yes, there's a disadvantage in doing that, but yeah. that is what you had. I'll give you a better example. It's like uh, a monk mm -hmm. doesn't need a weapon to be able to attack with his powerful fist, right? And that's why they're limited to D6. If the monk did D12 damage and could do that, they used to. <laughs> uh, that's true. They used to do D D20 damage. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but, what? Yeah. The, as a monk leveled up, their fist did more and more damage. D6, D8, D10, D12, D20. Well, I want to be doing D20 damage. <laughs> um, so if a fighter gets, you know, you know, stuck in a cell and they yeah. take his greatsword away. Yeah, that's where all okay, his feats were. He, he can't do anything mm. with his sword, but the monk can. And so that's why a monk doesn't do D12 damage. Yeah. It would be like, it would be like if the monk did as much damage as had the other classes, but you, you know, you can't take away his fist. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I think that depending on your situation, that could be hugely beneficial. I, I think it's mechanical. Is it by the way, a to balanced say, thing? I don't know. And by the way, to say nothing of the fact that like if somehow, you know, someone does disarm it or steal it from you uh, in combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I will say that uh, my, my supposition is that a lot of spells in Pathfinder 2, Pathfinder 2 specifically, even for the wizard, if they're two actions, they're probably verbal somatic. Almost all of them. They're all of them are. So... Yeah. There, there are probably very few spells that aren't three action yeah. that have material components. So for the most part, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now, yeah, like I said, I, I wouldn't use the phrase balance so much as mechanical. Now let's go. It's let's, a real thing okay. that exists. Now let's go but, on to the expensive material components. Yeah. Why we've, we, we have generally agreed as a community that Pathfinder 2 is, quote, the Marshall's edition, right? Mm. That the fighter reigns supreme. And that while spellcasters are very powerful still, and if we were to do a class tier ranking, I think I would put a lot of them in the A's and mm -hmm. the B's. Sorcerer probably in the S. Uh, generally speaking, it is considered to be a pretty significant power drop from where they used to be. Sure. 
So why is it that the casters pay money to use some of their class abilities? Where's the, where's the fighter feat or the barbarian rage feat that costs them 600 gold? I have to think that's coming from an older style where you're like well, of course channeling through material or something. It absolutely is flavorful and it absolutely that's all it is in my it mind. All, and, and, and once it's also upon, limiting. But here's the thing once upon a time, those spells and spell casters were absurdly powerful. Yeah. Is that spell that requires the large, expensive component absurdly powerful? Not it, anymore. Well, I think I would. Dead. And I would, fa- I would fact, but I would, that's what I was going to say. I would argue, if anything, the spells that still require expensive material components are usually ones that allow you to continue to play the game. Yeah. Like raise dead or uh, removing a a crippling disease from a character. That's the real problem is, you know, we talked about this at length. Pathfinder 2 is a game that doesn't want you to die despite... Why do you keep killing us? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking tell me that about that more about that Be, because I'm, I'm just a, I'm a bad GM and I'm not I'm not following rule one, which is fun first. Well, I mean, I, maybe I'm having fun, right? But I, you, you guys are. But uh, but you know, I mean, we talked about this before, right? It, it doesn't want you to die because there's a lot of things in place in general that are supposed to keep you relatively safe. Well, okay, let's take a let's take a broader step backwards. Has there ever been an addition that wanted you to die? Well. We can get Ben on here. I'm sure he's got some thoughts on that. But uh, I would say pre-third, the game was pretty like, yeah, oh, you're all bad dice, you're dead. That's it. That's kind of how it was expected to be played, right? I'm hand-waving a lot of it because that's not my point of the topic, right? Okay. By the time you get the third edition, third edition is really stressing things like mechanic or encounter balance much more than the previous edition. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then fourth was really tight. Pathfinder 2 is basically 4 2.0, right? And so, again, it's spending a lot of time on it, right? And and if you look at the math, it's tight. We always say that the math's tight. The encounter balance is tight. If you're running the encounters by the book, like if I threw nothing but moderates at you guys, you guys would never die. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, we know this from the countless examples of people playing the game every day in right. our Discord. Right. Right. We know that in order for you to level up, you have to fight five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten encounters. And if you even had a small chance... Yeah. Of dying, you would die. You would yeah. al- almost certainly you would lose a party member probably right. at least once a level. Right. And the knights, not exactly. And I roll all my dice in the open on the on the yeah, fucking yeah. channel for all the you know hijinks that they've been through and some of the bad mistakes they've made. They still have never died. So right, um, it's hard to die. It's hard to die. And, and well, it's hard to die. And then because of the way the math works, you reach a critical inflection point. Right. So it's like very hard. I mean, you know, it's, it's like nothing, 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 it's like, nothing it's like, wipe. It's like nothing, 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 <laughs> nothing, nothing. Then there's like a very narrow range where it goes up to like you have a chance of death. Right. And then you go a little bit past that and it's Instant like death. almost certain death. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's interesting because. It, it, yeah, it's very binary. Yeah. You know, I would say I don't know exactly what it is, what that experience point range is. But if I had to guess, I would say that up until probably now. Horrible luck aside, which we will talk about yeah, later. Yeah. I, my guess, my sense is that up to about 130, 140 experience. ish experience, yeah. I think your chance of dying is very low. Oh, that's just what I was thinking. <laughs> okay. And then at like 150, 160, 170. Because isn't 80. Um, 80's moderate. Yeah. So I was like, double that 160. That's where we should be yeah. like. Oh okay, well, now, and the game <laughs> considers 160 an extreme encounter. Right, they call and that 50 50. And they would yep. argue that that's 50 50. I still think it's probably more like 60 40. Mm-hmm. PCs tend to still have a lot of tricks up their sleeve, access to hero points, yeah. which may or may not help you. 
Um, so my guess, my estimate would be that around like 140, 150, very low chance of death. In fact, I would say almost negligible. Yeah. And yes, 150 has a higher chance than 80, but like a couple of percent, maybe. You get to 140, you get to 150, you get to 160. Now it's like 30, 40, 50% chance of death. Yeah. 160, 170, suddenly at 180, you're like 90 plus percent. Yeah. And so it's like you have this very, very narrow range. Yeah. You know, I would, I would, I would think if you wanted to play like a Pathfinder 2 extreme, you would just use like between 120 and 160 yeah. in all of your fights. And that would like, that would mean every time you go into this fight, it's like There's the, gl- the gloves are off. Yeah. Speaking of Pathfinder Extreme, again, this tangents that we like to, uh, one of the community members in our Discord patron is running uh, a one shot here and he's running Dying One. So, so you die at Dying One. You die at Dying One. Oh. I'm like, are we playing like, like a legendary mode? He goes, that's how it should be. <laughs> is this Ben? Yeah, it is. It is. But I'm I'm playing in it, so it should be fun. So is it dying one or is everyone that like Doom three? I feel Doom three is more thematic for Ben. Yeah, I don't know. I I didn't ask. He just said if you if you drop dead, you're dead. We have ten PCs playing, so he needs to kind of get. Well, I feel like we should start a poll: who's going to win, the Albert or the PCs? That would be good on the the, on the Discord. We'll start that soon. Yeah, I think um, my votes can go for the Albert. Oh yeah, for sure. I have a soft spot for Alberts. Yeah, I never really got the owl bear love. Because, I don't know, they're fluffy and big and dangerous and deadly, but also, you know, iconic. No, they're iconic. I agree. I, I just never really, again, you know what, it, 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 it's a, it's a, it must be a commonality. Because, like, I also don't really think Displacer Beasts are cool. I think Displacer Beasts are cool. Right? So I think I that, mean, they're not my favorite, but I think they're cool. I think that magical beast category. I am a huge D&D fanboy. Right. I, I love the Beholder. I have a mimic dice bag. Did you ever see my dice I bag? I have seen it. Yeah, I love that thing. Now, I love beholders, and I, here's the thing, though. I like the aberrations. So I like carrying crawlers. Those are awesome. I like Odiugs. Cla- I like classic DM thing. Right? I like beholders. I like hook Players horse. kill the goblins, loot the bodies, leave them, walk in the room. If you're playing D&D, because you can't do this in Pathfinder, because otherwise um, you'll get arrested because it's a copyright infringement. But uh, if you're playing D&D, <laughs> they leave the room, and you go, yes! You know what that means? Guaranteed carrying crawler, like, next time they go In my game, it almost certainly means that. <laughs> now, why is that? I, I don't know. Because carrying crawlers eat carrion. Uh, carrying crawlers oh, are, like, eating the- big slug monsters. Yeah, they clean up the dungeons. That have, like, tent- paraliz- paralyzing tentacles These around their face. These ceilings and stuff, too? Uh, I mean, they might. They might. I can't remember if I, because I played D&D, and I, I thought maybe one was almost there. Oh. Well, anyways. Um, so, to pay, get back to the material components component. I think that certainly the material component part is more flavor than anything. It does have some mechanical consequences, but um, the costly component, I think, oh, yeah. is a holdover from older editions. It has to be. I, because those spells had expensive components back in the day. In fact, let's, I don't even understand. Like, It's bad enough that your character died. So now I need to get a raised dead. Now in a game, now in 5th edition, yeah. maybe this doesn't even matter because money doesn't mean anything. Money doesn't mean anything. And but, you, you don't know, need Much it. like the math, money's tight. But in Pathfinder 2, you need certain weapons and certain armor, uh, certain runes in order to be able to function. And so when someone dies and you, let's say you even can get the raised dead, and suddenly you're like, well, I it's going to cost us all our money. That means that our party is going to be under-equipped yeah, but we yeah. got our buddy back. But we got our buddy back. Who's yeah, you know, and but so it's, you're never gonna catch that up, right? right? So, because like it, it, getting well, anyway, the treasure I, value from an AP in Pezio is like being a Pezio employee. You can just take some downtime and work, 
and keep working for a while, and then you'll get some money. Right. Well, and, and but to that point, if the money's just going to come back anyways, because let's say you go, well, I understand that they had to spend 500 gold that they were saving up, let's say, to get a new plus two rune for their weapon, which the game balance assumes right. that they have. Well, they had to spend that 500 gold instead on a raised dead. But I'll just I'll just put that extra treasure in to their next couple of encounters. Then why are you even charging why are you for doing it? it? What are we doing here? And then if you take a step back and you go, well, the, the component has to be there. Because otherwise, if Raised Dead was free, everybody would get it. Everybody would already get it. Like in real life, if Raised Dead existed, but it cost 500 like, bucks, yeah. Bob might not get it. We'd <laughs> <laughs> have to save up for that. <laughs> but like in real life, if Raised Dead was, you know, whatever, $50,000 or something like that, yeah. not only would people definitely get it, but it would all, I mean, I mean, certainly all the rich people would get it. So putting a putting a expensive cost on it isn't really prohibitive. So it's it's kind of pointless now. Yeah, I agree. Not really. I mean, yeah, I, got, yeah. I don't know what you're balancing. I I I don't know. I have to look at it more because I haven't really paid attention that much. I don't I don't know. There's all a handful the spells that have it. There's a handful of spells. They're usually the kind of divine ones. Yeah, you so know, raised dead and the raised dead. The you, you know need, um, the the some greater of the restorations ones. and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, some of the rituals. Just like things that let you play the game. Yeah, things that let you enable you to play the game. Well, because it's interesting. What because I take away, my takeaway is maybe this is their very poor attempt to introduce some form of consequence for your failure. Yeah. Right? You died. You suck. You, you shouldn't die in PF2, but right? you did. You shouldn't <laughs> die in PF2. Right. They're mad you at you because you ruined it. So their you math. need to be penalized somehow. You need to be sl- you need you lost the path. Yeah. You lost um, But then, like you said, it makes it even worse. It's like but, a double. Well, that's the problem. But, but now they've created a game where you can't do that casually or flippantly. In fact, I would argue that if, let's say, there was a party of four and three people die and one person heroically stands yeah. and finishes the fight, they were very close to winning and they win. But, you know, you have a survivor. Three people are down. I should take their bodies back to town. Well, that's three costs of raised dead. You're like, well... You guys could just all make new characters it's exact, and, co- and come yeah. in with the same exact loot you would have. Then I get all the loot on all your bodies. Right. I'm broken. Right. And you guys are fine. Yeah. <laughs> that seems very meta, not very role player like. Well, I don't, well, I don't know. It makes sense. <laughs> well, the character was neutral. There you go. There you know, go. I'm just saying, like, it, it's silly because in that situation, the players have died and heroically triumphed, and you are. You know, you're going to punish them for raising the dead. And that's fine. Maybe in my harsh, brutal well, like, survival game. I think but in the w- standard Pathfinder 2 game, that is not the the opinion, you know, expression that they're giving to people. In, in order to just give to like third edition, that wasn't as big of a deal because you had the money to throw around. And you didn't need the items quite as bad. You definitely did not. Oh, need man. Need. I can't get that plus three sword right away. Yeah. Well, I mean, whatever. To, to, to use fifth edition as an example, it's like, well, hey, I'm 10th level now. Yeah, well, the monster still has an AC of like 17. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like if in 5th edition, if you don't have your plus two sword, it doesn't matter. In fact, yeah. the game doesn't even really necessarily expect the game you to is have. balanced to have, to expect you have no magic items. Yeah. I mean, I think it expects you to have some magic no, items. No, I was actually reading up on this the other day. So you could be at the end of the game and you could have no plus three item and you're fine. Oh. All right. So, so you roll what, lucky. Uh, I mean, you well, got to no, roll. A Baylor yeah. has AC 19. Well, that's yeah. my point. You just got to roll. Hi. No, at, that, at that point in the game, you have an attribute modifier. Call you're, it plus four. You no, have a plus I mean, six no, proficiency. You probably have a bonus. 20 strength. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. So you have a plus five, five. Plus five. And your proficiency modifier, I think, is plus five. Six at the end of the game. Plus six. So yeah. You have a plus, plus 11 to hit. There you go. You hit the Baylor on an eight. Yeah. If you have the best sword in the game, you hit him on a five. Yeah. But what's cool about that is, you know, it's actually a bonus. Right? It actually is a bonus. We've talked about this before, but that's, oh, that, that's that, a good Pathfinder point. Too, it's not a bonus. It's that, not a bonus. You've got to have it. It's a requirement. It's a requirement. <laughs> in fact, not having it is just a penalty. And you're not going to have it when it would be a bonus. You're not going to get a plus two item at level one. Disagree. Azius has had a plus two potency rune on his sword and a greater fear rune, which is a level 12 item, uh, since like level eight. Uh, it's been sweet. I'm pretty sure you're not running that in a Pazio certified. I'm manner. not. <laughs> I wanted him to have something cool and powerful. Sir, I heard your I fear points it. were heroic. Uh, <laughs> no. We're going to have to have a talk. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please don't. Please don't pull our, um, uh, I don't know, pull our license. Pazio license. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that we don't have. <laughs> that we don't have. But all right. So I hope that answers the material so, component. Yeah, in normal games where people aren't allowed to have fun, Bob, mm. you don't get that that early. So if you're playing AV, you got it exactly at the level that you should have it. Very true. Right. Um, in fact, actually, uh, someone was talking on our Patreon Discord about uh, that's they were like that's why I use the the GMG rules for no item progression. Yeah. So at like level two, you everyone just automatically yeah. gets a plus one to hit. And at level oh, four, everyone just automatically gets essentially a striking rune. But it's not even striking rune. It's like at level four. Oh, he just tells them you get you just no, more dice. Just double your dice. It's just whenever I shoot a weapon, double dice. I do double dice. Doesn't matter what weapon I pick up. So it's almost like a level beat. Mm-hmm. It's almost all of that magical item progression instead becomes part of your character progression. Yeah. I became stronger. I hit harder. Right. And that way you don't need magical items. Yeah, that's funny because that goes back to that uh, MC video that you really like a lot. It's like, you know, why didn't Pathfinder 2 just make that inherent? Maybe it was just too... It's a bridge too far. Too bridge too far, yeah. Well, yeah. let me think about this. So it's funny because, right, like if I'm a level one... Well, I just want to say something really okay, quick, yeah. which was, uh, and someone else who doesn't like that system was kind of criticizing it, and they said, well, that's even more powerful because typically... Oh, you, it's much more powerful. You get to level four, and the party might have one right. striking rune, and it might take a couple sessions or even a level... For everybody to get a striking rune, whereas right. this literally, you ding four, right. everyone's striking, and well, then secondly, you rebalance. Yeah. If you just rebalance the math. You, if you, well, no, you don't. I mean, the, the game rules are saying you, you well, can just use. He's changing the rules, right, to say that he's no, going to give no, him a plus one. No, no, he's it, not. It, it's just an optional rule. Where oh, okay. Well, it just makes your party that much flipping stronger. Well, no, you don't get magical items too. Yeah, it doesn't stack. Well, it's an item bonus, so it doesn't stack. I get that. I get that. So what I'm saying is, like, for example, imagine everyone leveled to four, and suddenly everyone's weapon, whenever they wielded it, was essentially striking. Whereas in a real normal Pathfinder game, it might take you a session or two or three or four mm-hmm. before you got enough money and enough treasure and enough loot that everybody was able to get a striking ruin on all their weapons. I get that. To say nothing of the fact that if I pull out a random dagger or a random backup weapon or a bow, normally only my... Two-handed axe right. would have the striking rune on it, and my other weapons would all be shit. Yeah. But this way, I can reach into my backpack, pull up my bow, and shoot it, and instead of it being horribly, laughably bad... Right. It's fine. It's totally fine. Because it's essentially... It actually a plus, fixes a considerable it's problem. A, it's a, it becomes a plus one bow. Yeah. I was just thinking, like, at level one, you know, you got your plus four bonus to damage. You put it on strength. Sure. Okay, and then... Well, that's assuming you're attacking with a melee weapon. Um, okay, if I'm just assuming this. Yeah. And I got the sword, okay? But if I went all the way to level 20... Yeah. 
What would that? Well, I would get at, at well, five, you, ten. I would go to. Uh, well, what you mean? What your stat 19, would be? 20, 20, is it six? You, you would get four ability boosts at five, yeah. fifteen, five, ten, fifteen, twenty. Twenty. So that would go to eight, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two. 22. So and then there is an apex item that you can wield. It's like a level 17, 18 item. There's one apex item for each uh, stat, and that gives you a plus two bonus. Okay. Well, so regardless of so all that. So at level 20, you will have like 24 strength. My point being, if you never plus took seven, plus seven. If you never took striking rune and you never took a uh, potency rune, yeah. you would have been from level one to level 20 only increased technically plus two to your damage. In Oh, to your damage. Plus three with the apex. With the apex thing. Well, not, not so what, damage because the striking rune. Oh, if you, I say, if you never did. Yeah, what he was you, saying gotcha, is gotcha. just you audited and I'm thinking in my head. head I was from okay. level whoa, one whoa, to 20 and be, never really got that oh, stronger. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. To be clear, to be clear, that's the way it was for 35 well, years. Well, that's kind of my, but, but I didn't, I feel like I'm D&D. level 20. I should be really freaking strong. I should be, you I are. should be getting that. You have a 24 well, strength. Yeah, well, I got nothing more though but for I mean, it. But I mean, in first edition D&D and second edition D&D, in third edition D&D, in fourth edition D anD D, first second, you even yeah, get but it, but if you I just, get that striking ruin, I I'm, like, I'm doubling my dice basically that I'm rolling. Correct. That's a huge. That's more important than going just my strength. Yes, but the monsters also have five times as much hit points. My my point being, you could not survive without getting that. Of course. Oh no, no. Pathfinder two would not work. If yeah, you yeah, you, no, that, yeah. And, that, well, and that's my but point. I, I kind of well, like no, no. that GMG no, no, that, thing where it gives you automatically. But that's my, I feel stronger. But that's my point. My point is, is like if you are level ten or a twelve or something like that, and a flying monster were to fly by, and you're like, oh, well, I've had this bow for a long time. I've got a good dexterity, or or a throwing weapon because I'm got good strength. It's almost not even worth it to throw it because even if you do hit, which you probably won't, because it's not got a plus one or plus two bonus to hit. Right. But then when you do the damage, you're gonna do. D6 plus your strength right. instead of 3D6 plus your strength right. that the game is expecting you to do. I get that. And so it actually becomes pointless to use any weapon other than your one true primary yeah. weapon. My point just being to that GMG thing, it actually feels like it makes sense because as I progress and get better, stronger, I'm hitting harder, more dice. I don't need to get the rune to just become stronger. Well, that's, that is a modern day like video that. game, anime, uh, yeah. anime. Yeah. Sp- Centric mindset. If I live for that twenty I, years. That I better I, be freaking stronger. That I can, <laughs> I can't stand. Well, okay. I don't, it's not that I can't stand it. It's that. Well, no, it doesn't have to be the main section of the podcast. But you mentioned that you mentioned you mentioned Matt Colville's video on rewards. Yes. Okay. Your mindset, that idea, makes it so that everything in the game, especially if you use that optional rule. Everything now in the game, your hit points, your bonus to hit, your essentially your magic items because it's tied into this, your class feats, your ancestry feats, everything, it's all tied into one thing, leveling. Okay. And so now the entire purpose, I like, I like it, yeah. and the entire and, and the entire purpose and point of your game now is level up, be stronger, to be, be to, better, to beat do the game, whatever I need to do to level up. Yep. Right. And that's horrible. Oh, I don't think so. It's horrible because what it does is, is it turns your D&D game from what it could be and what it should be into a video game. But we're all trying to level up anyway because that's how we're getting stronger. But it didn't have to be that way. And it used to not be that way. I don't know. I feel like... Yeah, because you like video games anime. I like both those things. Right. But I feel like as I get to level from 1 to 20, I should feel bigger, stronger, better. Agreed. But within what context? I should feel... 20 times greater almost like than right. level one. And here's the thing. And that's fine if you assume D&D characters are comic book characters. 
or Dragon Ball Z characters. Those are all my favorite types. Right. And those things are horrible from any sort of rational standpoint. I love all of them. Yeah. They're horrible. They're amazing. Right. And here's the actually, I'll even take a step further. Not only are they horrible, which they're fine, though. I play superhero RPGs. Right. Okay. I think they're great. They're horrible because if you're going to play that style of game, well, then you're playing with the wrong rule set. Which is fine. <laughs> which I agree with. <laughs> right. Like if you want to like if you want to play a game that has literally larger than life demigod characters like Pathfinder one. Well, that that's what Mythic Adventures was for. Here was a system designed mm-hmm. to make your character a Superman. If you use that GMG rule and just gave everyone just they sort of became stronger as they kept going, because that's really what it's doing. Sure. Hitting harder. Couldn't you then do what I like to do, which is like, you found Excalibur. Because there's no reason to amp up your weapon. Because there's no runes or striking runes or Well, they have runes. other magical properties. Oh, they do? Yeah. Okay. I was like, because then I'm like, oh, finding I mean, Excalibur. You could find Excalibur anyway. It means something more because I didn't have to amp up my weapon that I always carried. Well, there's two ways to look at it. I really like that system. One way is to say you could still put magic weapons in your game, and magic items in your game, and allow it to stack. Mm-hmm. That would be the Derek that would be the traditional Derek approach. That that part So you only cool. do that if you're trying to have fun. Oh, okay. Well, so I let's like talk fun. about what we would actually do. <laughs> and I would do that because, going back to this uh, article about rewards, you need, you need to create a situation where the players are interested in doing things that will make them more powerful. Like it? Okay. When you tie all of the power gains to leveling up, leveling up is not something okay. in the game. So it's I, should, not a real, I should. It's not a real thing, right? It's an abstract concept. Right. Like people, it's not like Dragon Ball Z where people have power meters. Okay, right? like you can't look at a person and go, they've like uh, recall knowledge. You know, they're level thirteen, <laughs> right? That's not a that's not a term that we can use. Oh, fair enough. Now, if if in your game, okay, your warrior, okay went to the temple of Hercules, mm-hmm. okay, and took the test of divine strength and came out with the ability to punch through walls, yeah. okay, and do three dice of damage. Yeah. That's much different. Okay, that's what I want. Do you understand why that's different, yes. though? Well, it's not tied to, like you said, I don't, I don't just have to level up. There's other things I have to do. But not only that, it's something that we can understand in the context of the game. Correct. Why can he punch through a wall? Because he went to the Hercules temple. Because he went to the Hercules temple, right. and he, he has the divine blessing of strength. Yep. Right? Just like Shazam. Well, and my point being that my point being that the leveling though should still matter. Meaning I should still get increasingly stronger. Well, what does level mean? I so so I think like if it's working think out. Think about leveling though. <laughs> leveling, you know, it the mechanic that lets you level is well, called experience. Mm-hmm. And you get experience for experiencing things in the yep. game. Yep. And a while back, it used to be for lots of different things, mostly treasure. Right. Actually, that's true. It was, it was, the main one was treasure, right? Right. But there was things too, also combat, but also things tied to your class, right? Mm-hmm. Wizards got experience points for successfully casting spells. Okay. Thieves got experience points for picking pockets or picking locks, mm-hmm. things like that, right? Fighters got more experience for fighting monsters, right? So, so the second edition experience table there was designed to reward you to play the character you chose to play and do the things that your character should be doing. Which is uh, one of those things that Derek and I like, right? When mechanics reinforce the role playing, right? Oh, I should take these actions because I get rewarded if I take these actions, right? That does make sense. Right. You want experience points to be, it's a communication device to your players mm-hmm. to say, these are the types of behaviors I want to reward. Mm-hmm. 
when you look at the standard Pathfinder 2 D&D 5th edition model, yeah. where all the powers are linked into the class of the character and the level of the character. Right. So to have more fun, you have to access those, and to access those, you have to level. Mm -hmm. Right. And the way you level is milestone-based experience. Right. All that tells you is the only thing I have to do is show up. Yeah. Not die. And just not die. Well, you aren't the, typically the, worried right? about that. <laughs> and because the levels will just, as long as I just follow the DM's plot and story, he will or she will at the appropriate time award me with what I'm looking for. Yeah. You I know? Just, it's like a dog. You yeah. know, when you train a dog, right, to, to do a trick, yeah. you have to give it a reward yeah. and then it's going to re react to, to earn that right. reward. And then it will do it. Right. Yeah. And it's going to do whatever you tell it. So by creating this paradigm where all of the powers and the strength. And so like you said, with the GMG optional rule, you're just doubling down on that. Yeah, what and I'm trying to do is avoid, and, avoid well, no, this. What the you're telling, what you're telling is players is. It doesn't matter what you do. See, I don't want, I don't, I, I, I think I misspoken because I'm trying to say two different things, but I, I want you to. You want to be an anime character. We get that. Yes, I do want to do that. But what I'm saying is I, I don't like that it's tied to the weapon. I don't like that I buy this rune and my mall is just hitting so much harder. I, I What's wrong think, with having a really sweet, powerful, what's wrong with Excalibur? No, I mean, that's I mean, my point. Actually, I mean, this is wait, a wait, 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 wait. I want Excalibur. You, you, think, you think Captain America's shield is a bad idea or Iron Man's armor right. is a bad idea? I think or, you should find Mjolnir, it. Or Mjolnir? Isn't Mjolnir. there a direct quote from Tony Stark about this? My, my point being that about, I don't you know want to. You know what I'm talking about, about the suit? Because Spider-Man, oh, yeah, Spider Spider yeah. yeah, it's from Spider-Man Homecoming. He goes, no, you can't take the suit. I'm nothing without the suit. And he says, if you're nothing without the suit, you shouldn't have it. I agree. My point being, that's even better. So the GMG allows the person to get stronger by that optional rule. As I level up, I get stronger. Not my weapon just becoming stronger because I put runes into it. My point being is I want to find those weapons. I want to seek out ways to make that weapon or find a new weapon. That's... But that already is the way that the game works. No, it's 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 like I got my mall, and I'm I have never touched, never done anything besides have my mall. I went and got the fearsome ruin on it. I got my striking or my striking ruin on. It, I got the shock ruin on it, and I got the potency ruin. So on it's it. not that you don't like. So it's not that you I just like, like ruined items. It's not that you just like magic items. You just don't like the flexible customization Correct. system of runes. I want to go and search for them. Which is funny because that was one of the main complaints that people used to have was that that didn't uh, exist. I don't like yeah, that. Yeah, I thought the rune system was actually kind of cool. I, well, I don't well, think it's not cool. I just think it'd be cooler to say, like you were saying, well, that you, you want a better weapon? There's a temple, Hercules, that has this great sword that when he fought the lion or something, you know, you're like, oh, what? I can get that? Yes. You still get stronger as you get better at the game, personally stronger, but if you want better weapons, you got to go find them or buy them or go. F I like named items. <laughs> I have always liked it. So that's, that was my whole point with the GMG. Not that I'd only care about leveling up. Though I think that should be important. You know, Bob, 4th okay. edition has an amazing artifact system. One of these days we're going to play it because you keep killing us. It's one us, of my favorite. And we're going to end up Derek, playing you like the artifact system too, right? <laughs> so we're going to play it soon. So all they're right. named items. They, they all do. have names. They all have a history. And you have to basically, it's kind of like, I forget the exact term, but you have to gain a relationship with the item by doing the things the item wants you to do, right? This sounds very anime. So like Code of Arn, right? That was the one I had. It was amazing. I kept it for like half a tier of play because it was just amazing. Um, uh, wants you to do like heroic things and like, you know, defend people and stuff like that. So when you take actions like that, you level up the artifact effectively oh, and you can access cool. to even more and more and more powers until eventually, this is the downside, this is the part you mm. wouldn't like, uh, until eventually you complete like 
the artifact's purpose and quest, right? And then it leaves, but it leaves behind a pretty good suit of replacement armor. So, okay. and this is a game balance mechanic. But that mechanic, quests you to go find something else, right? Yeah, you can go find something else, yeah, right? That's, I just want the, the quest, I, I think the quest the of finding the items is legitimately broken compared that's to anything cool. else. Right, well, wow. we get off topic. Oh, sorry about that. I mean, that was off topic, but it <laughs> yeah, was on topic. Yeah, I mean, so all right. So that was the long, long way of answering the material component. Yes, thank you for your question. I'll get back to you on Twitter. Yeah, we'll get back to you on Twitter. So, you, was there any other? Uh, uh, that was Bob the big one. one. Uh, the only other one that uh, that I none of the ones in the Discord you were you didn't know much about that. Oh, one. I, I didn't see the specific conversation. I saw the the question by, uh, Ben asked, but. Well, the one that I definitely want to get back to what you're saying, but I know that you guys had talked a little bit about um, random encounters. We've been talking about West Marches a little bit and PF2, and you guys were talking on uh, on a separate note about uh, the concept of random encounters. Is it even possible in PF2 mm. play pattern? Does the does it even really matter due to the way resources are operated? Most definitely, does it fall into their plot of story progression? Yeah. Um, well, I actually thought that was an interesting topic, so I wrote it down. So I have thoughts on the spell. Let that yeah. go. Yeah, so let's just talk about random encounters. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the baseline. Let's talk about original D&D. Let's talk about first edition D&D. You are trying to get levels. Yep. So the way to get levels is to get experience, right? You want to level up. You want to become more powerful. So what do you want? You want magical items. You want gold to be able to buy things and do things. Well, and very specifically okay. in this edition of the game, right? Okay. You want the treasure because that gives you experience and the ability to buy things. Right. So you want treasure, you want gold, you want magical items, you want experience. Well, how do I get all those things? By finding treasure. Because experience is given for gold. One experience point for each gold. Now you get, wow. now you get experience for fighting monsters as well, but it's a drop in the bucket. Okay, it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, so like an orc in second edition, I want to say it was about 10 experience points, and a fighter needed 2,000 to level. <laughs> oh, and that God. orc would be split with your other party members. Wow. Right, so you might literally wow. have to kill hundreds of orcs. Hundreds to level up, just on combat alone. Or find a gem. Now, now here's the thing, I, and, I, and I actually will break this down into further detail. But here's the thing. If you found 500 gold, you got 500 XP. And you weren't going to die to <laughs> finding 500 gold, right? But an orc could kill you, and that was only worth 10 experience points, right. right? So combat sucked because it was a way that your character could die, the same way that traps sucked. And it was a way your character could die. Finding treasure was great. So that means that any sensible player would try to figure out a way to find treasure and avoid traps and avoid combat because... They gave you some experience, but not really anything that was worth the risk. Yeah. Right? It was a, it was a consolation So now prize. people are excited about combat, and then you were like, <laughs> no. You were like, no, because now you're like, <laughs> shit, now my character has a chance of dying. Before he didn't, now he does. Right. So here's what's interesting about this, though. And that idea, now here's the thing. People said, that doesn't make any sense, because they, they didn't understand. I don't know if Gary Gygax was a genius or just got lucky, right? But what he was doing by doing that is creating an incentive structure for you to want to go and become a treasure-seeking mercenary or adventurer, which worked really well for, you know, sitting down and actually playing this game. Right. Because it gave you a built-in automatic motivation. Now, as the game progressed, people wanted to be more than just mercenary-type characters, right? And this is why everything is Tracy Hickman's fault. Okay, and, 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 and you know, that you could argue that this was a fundamental flaw because once you, once you made that distinction, once you changed that, okay, we're no longer uh, wealth- power-seeking adventurers, ne'er-do-wells, rogue scoundrels, mercenaries, adventurers. We are now heroes. You've changed everything. 
And to tell you what, the game did not change that much. It still hasn't changed that much almost 50 years later. Correct. And they really should have, but they didn't. But random encounters back then were just the fight. No treasure. Oh, no XP either? Well, no. You got, oh, you got you just, get the monster just the XP. XP. If okay. you randomly encountered four orcs, they might kill you. Okay, so before you would kill the monster, maybe loot him for gold. You might find he was guarding a treasure. Or this is a just like a wolf in the woods. This is just a wolf, wolf in, the, in woods. the woods. And here's the thing. It sucks, right? Because you're taking, you're, yeah, you're you're like, taking, you're taking all the risks, <laughs> like, right? And none of the reward. So the random encounter sucked. Okay. That does sound awful. Okay. Not only that, not only maybe it wouldn't kill you, but it would lower or deplete your resources. And that meant it made it that much harder for you to find the treasure and get to what you were actually going after. So random encounters were something to be avoided and, igno- and, and, and uh, igno- you know, uh, uh, not ignored, but um, to be avoided at all costs. Yeah. Now, contrast that then, too, with the fact that a random encounter back then um, represented a depletion of your resources. Right? Spells, hit points. There was no like short rest or activity. Yeah, there was no short rest. There was no medicine check. The only way you gained back hit points was through magical spells or magical items, like a potion of healing, elixir, a potion of elixir. Potion of elixir. Potion of elixir. But there was no alchemist who could make 20 of them per day for free. Right? So you had to spend your treasure on these potions. You had to use your spell slots to cast this healing, or you had to go back to town and rest. For a potentially long time, and then go back in the random encounters. So mm-hmm. what that Every meant time went back to town. You had to okay. go for random encounters. So what that meant was it wasn't about losing all of your hit points in one fight. This was like going to Vegas with a thousand bucks, and you're trying to make it last three days, right? And the longer you can make it last, the more fun you're going to have. Mm-hmm. And that's the same way that resources were in the old yeah. days, yeah. right? If you blew all your money on. Hour one, day one. Go home. You're gonna have a. You're gonna go home because what am I gonna do in Vegas? Nothing, right? I've I've gone to Vegas with people where that has happened. Just walking around. You're just walking around. Right? You're not having any fun. So part of the fun of the game was, but the longer you could stay in the dungeon, the greater chance you had of finding that secret door, finding that treasure, getting that huge bone, which was gonna give you the experience, which was gonna level you up, right? So you wanted to be there and you wanted to avoid losing resources. So random encounters depleted that without giving you any reward, and you're like, okay, I know I want to avoid these, and it's first edition. Combat is very basic, very simple, very a, fast, very fast. And so random encounters might take five to 10 minutes. That's cool. Okay. So what do we have here? We have a incentive structure. We have a disincentive structure and we have a quote unquote penalty. You know, mm-hmm. think of random encounters as like a two minute penalty in NHL. There you, you go. Know, you're in the box. Yep. Right. Quick. It's over. It's done with. It sucks. sucks. Yeah. But you move on. Okay. Now, we go to second edition. In fact, I'll kind of skip this. I'll go to third edition because this is a better example. By the time we'd reached third edition, they had completely, in second edition, they had moved treasure, or I'm sorry, XP for treasure into an optional sidebar in one part of the game. Yes, third edition it was gone. But what's fucked up about that is, in second edition, they didn't change the XP tables. Right. For monsters? For anything. So you just took forever to do you anything. The option rule just sucks. Yeah. Oh my god. But the, but but no one that I played with, we did not play with we this when we were kids. Yeah. Was treasure for XP? I thought it was stupid. I didn't understand. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Because part of the problem was we all had. We were younger. We were small children. Right. right. We were undeveloped. So he thought like, like Bob. Oh what? Um, where it may, here's the thing that here's the funny thing to me. It's why this is what this boggles my mind. At the time, I thought. So I go into the dungeon and I get a bunch of gold and treasure and I come out 
And then suddenly my character has new abilities and can cast more spells. That part made, I was like, that part's stupid. But in my mind, my wizard goes into the dungeon. They fight some orcs. He comes out. You shoot your crossbow. And now I, I shoot my crossbow once. I come out and now I'm stronger and I've leveled up. That, that made sense to it me. It does make sense to me. And it does, that makes no sense either. You know, Why? You know, Tearing your muscle no, and letting that, it regrow? That is not what adventuring is. Boss, everything's working out to No, me. <laughs> no. No, you know what? You know what should level you up? Spending months or weeks training, practicing, working at a dojo. I agree with all that. Going to an, a library. You know what? Wizards leveling up should look like fucking Hogwarts. Yeah. I, went to, I went to potions class. I went to a Rethmenster class. Yeah, but class is different than the real world. Okay. You can train in the dojo, but going out in the real world, that might be... Show me, the experience. show me a black belt in any martial arts who's like, yeah, I didn't go to the dojo. I just got in street fights. Yeah, it, I, that didn't happen. I kind of see what you're saying here, Bob, because no, I do value practical experience. But after watching and binging four four seasons of Cobra Kai, I'm on episode one. It's it's <laughs> basically um, DBZ, but in real life, because the most of the season is everyone just at the dojo training, and then it's the big fight at the end. Yeah, with sometimes a couple fights in the middle, which are like random encounters and actually just serve to like screw everyone over. Right. Like when they have, a, you know, the high school kids have the random fight, you know, because they're, they're yeah. pissed at each other. That actually sets everyone back, you know, yeah. versus like the tournament fight at the end. Yeah. So the point, I feel like you should be training for the real world. So the, so well, the they're, dojo they're, for they're the all, adventure. No, they're all in the dojo all day training. Talking yeah. about we're going to get ready for the fight. There's like it's like seven episodes right. of them training and then the episode of the fight. Again, look at a UFC fighter and look, they'll they'll train six months a year mm -hmm. for one fight. Yep. But all now, those I guys will say, though, they'll get enough street fights, too, though. They're. They're pretty deadly. Last <laughs> point. Our former sensei did intentionally take a job at a maximum security prison because he wanted to get experience, real experience. I'm not saying it's, it's completely <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> I'm just saying in second edition, they got rid of basically, they made it optional and people like me and people like a lot of people thought it was silly and stupid. And we thought, oh, you should get experience points for fighting monsters because that makes more sense to us because in our mind, it was like a video game. Right. Well, we grew up in like Final Fantasy. We grew up in Final Fantasy. You fought random encounters. You got experience. You leveled up. Dun, 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 so this gets dun, all the way to dun, third dun, edition, dun, dun. where it became a joke, where at low levels, characters would go into the dungeon, and they would bang pots together. We literally did this once. Uh, they did this several times because they wanted to trigger random encounters. Because we wanted an experience. Because they third edition now you got real experience points. Because for now monsters. in third edition they changed it. They didn't give you treasure. They didn't give you experience points for treasure. But now monsters fights were the way that you leveled up 10 encounters you leveled if you fought 10 ran if you fought 10 encounters of your level you got enough experience points give or take to level up okay so why go through the dungeon right. and have to i'll just bang pots together bang, at the bang, entrance bang, 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 uh, and then bang. it'll trigger a random encounter i'll fight them right that's what i want to do anyway so we had fight. two rogues standing in the doorway someone would bang a pot the monster would walk in the rogues would sneak attack on the flank kill a monster Sounds awful. Rinse, repeat. And then <laughs> you're right at the entrance to the dungeon. So as soon as you like run out of like, yeah, like you, river, you just go back home and then repeat until you're at least like level two or three or four. Right. right. And so now random encounters became the thing to do because like, why are you playing D&D to fight monsters and level up? Well, what's a great way to fight monsters and level up? Random, random encounters. Okay. All right. I see where you're going with this. Okay. So random encounters now didn't work at all. They were the complete opposite of what they used to be because the yeah. way you got experience was fights. And that's what a random encounter was. Now, take it a step further. Now you have these games that are very narrative and focused on the story. Right. And you get your experience from milestones. Okay. 
but or traps or hazards, you do all that yeah. stuff no, too. No, I mean if, if you're doing milestones, you're not doing no, correct. One. I like it should like milestone. Okay, XP. I, I like so, the mix. So milestone basically tells you that it doesn't matter what your character does. Okay, the only thing you're going to level up is by progressing, progressing the, story. the story. So now you're like, okay, so then random encounters are a deterrent because they're not going to progress the story. So back to basically D and D one exactly, but there's a difference. The difference was is that the deterrent before was that a random encounter was going to eat up your resources, maybe even kill you, and that was going to make gaining those resources, yeah. uh, uh, the getting the treasure harder. That right? doesn't happen anymore. But that doesn't happen anymore. So now it's just a deterrent to the player. Now it's just, just now and... it's just a deterrent to you as a person yeah, it's because annoying. it's boring and it's annoying. Like, I showed okay. up to this game and now I have an hour-long fight for no reason. For no reason. And it's not going to make a difference to the story. Yeah. It's not going to get me closer to my milestone. And then as soon as the fight yeah. is over, we're just going to heal to full. Yeah, I guess especially in milestone, it is zero point. It, it does nothing. Now, I want to... Now that Derek's covered I'm that. I'm done. I want to... <laughs> I want to talk about how I use random encounters and how um, DMs used to use random encounters back in the day outside of just distractions. Everything Derek said is totally valid. Mm -hmm. But there was another aspect of it, which um, he didn't talk about that I want to talk about because this is how why I use random encounters, right? Because you might be wondering, why do I have random encounters in our game if they're horrible? Well, it sounds like they're horrible for Milestone, but we're doing XP. So they do make sense a little bit. Yeah, but it's not there for you to farm. Correct. Right. So this this is how. Well, you just make them deadlier, right? Uh, uh, and no, you don't want to farm. No, no, because that's not how I use them. That's okay. Not how, see, they're called random encounters, not called random fights. Okay. Okay. It's an encounter. An encounter can go lots of different ways. Um, sometimes creatures could be friendly. Sometimes it might not be a creature at all. Back in the day, uh, DMs would think of these things almost as like random uh, adventure generators. Okay. Right. You're out exploring, and you roll a random encounter. And on the old tables, there would be an additional check to see are these tracks of the monsters? Are these the actual monsters themselves? Or is it a lair, right? And a lair, kind of like what you guys uh, came across in, in, in the one session, a lair would be a lot of these guys grouped together, right? So that would obviously be hard to fight, but that's also guaranteed lair treasure. Oh, lair yeah, Lair treasure yeah. was a better table than incidental treasure, mm -hmm. right? And so what do we just do here? We just create an adventure because you're not going to solve this in a fight, Right. This is like, oh, we just found the lair of the orcs, right? Randomly generated. There's, you know, 12 orcs and six orcs champions and one orc leader, right? Okay, how are we going to take this out? Because they also got a lot of orc treasure here, right? And so now you've introduced this completely new adventure, this new idea for the players to go and explore and deal with, and they know they're going to get value. Because, again, part of the challenge of the old game was finding where the treasure was. And now you knew this is a lair. There's absolutely treasure there. So I love that concept, and I've kept that concept over the years. So even in this Pathfinder 2 game that we're running, when we roll, uh, if you think about it, in, in the adventure where you found the goblins, the 20 goblins, you didn't find the 20 goblins. What did you find? You found the tracks that led yeah. to the lair. Well, I would argue that that isn't a random encounter. That is just random adventure seed generators. Well, that's what people called with, it. That's with, that's what how they used it. Well, I I guess in my the encounter is that you encountered the tracks. Sure, right? but I guess what I'm trying to say is like, that, my point was it's not random fights. Yeah, encounter doesn't no. mean fight. Yeah, right? it doesn't mean even fight, when though. you actually sure. encounter creatures in the old game and in the game that I run. Right, I roll reaction right. dice from yeah, the monsters. Well, and also to be clear, are these orcs friendly and well, willing to okay. cooperate with to you? To be clear, too, though in original D and D they were not called random encounters; they were called wandering monsters. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. they were very clearly wandering monsters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It was the idea that you were Even trying. Even then, though, there was a reaction role. Oh, sure. hundred percent. But I would argue that uh, having an encounter with a monster and then having a reaction role is still an encounter. And also these, these, uh, uh, say, I don't remember exactly when I introduced it, but uh, 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 tracks and uh, layers have been in very early in the game. Uh, layers certainly have been for yeah, sure. Yeah. What I guess what I'm trying to say is you are taking an, ex- you're taking an extra, extra step of taking um, random world exposition generation yeah. and putting it into your tables. Yeah. But does that make it better? Uh, I in think so. Opinion, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll get well, to why in a second. Well, I mean, it sounds, I mean, sounds cooler. I'll tell you why Maybe. I care about this. I'll tell you why I care Maybe. about this in a second. But I want to finish one other thought on that because um, that's, that's where I start. But I did take an additional step beyond that, which is um, I have discoveries on my random encounter. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, you might find treasure. You might find something interesting. There might not be a creature there. It might just be, like, a little puzzle or something or an additional room. One time, and it's an older campaign, but I've always kept this on my tables, uh, uh, Derek's party was adventuring. They were traveling to a dungeon they knew about, and I rolled a random encounter, and they actually found another dungeon Oh wow! on the way there. It was a tower off in the distance, right? Uh and that was cool, right? Because there was this moment where they were like, oh, should we go there? Should we go here, right? And so, like, um, and I mentioned this to you, I think, before, a while ago, maybe not, I don't remember, um, where, like, if you find random, like, secret dungeons, right, what I like to do is, like, make the rewards better because yeah. it's harder to find, but keep the danger about the same. But you can see as he's talking, right, that concept would not work for 90% of GMs who would are out there just AP at all. rolling yeah. and running an AP. Well, yeah. you can't do it with an AP. Can't right. do it with an AP, yeah. The random encounter, I feel like an AP is, is it's not random. It's like, you've encountered a random encounter. It's like, well, that wasn't random. It just told me there was a monster there. Right. That's correct. <laughs> like, it's not that, random. That so so the reason I like this and the reason I don't like APs, okay, is because most APs, uh, particularly the, the Pazio ones, are, you know, you go to encounter A, B, C, D, right? And as a DM, for me, that's boring because I know what's going to happen. And I know based on the math that you guys are probably going to win. And, you know, and honestly, if you don't, that's worse, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's no real excitement there, right? Uh, and take away the fact, like, wait, like why why do you DM, right? You DM because you, like, create the world. You, like, you know, um, you know, there's a little bit of a host aspect to it, you like entertaining your friends. But you're you're also there to be surprised by the game itself. And I feel like um, it's very hard to do that in most of these APs. Uh, some adventures, I'm not saying modules are bad, right? I don't like how Pazio does their APs. I don't like railroaded adventures. I like the old third edition adventures because those were site-based modules where they go, here's an interesting location filled with interesting things. That's it. And it's up to your players to explore it and how they explore it and, and the way they explore it. Very open, right? Right. Like, imagine hmm. if, right, you play through burnt offerings, right? So you look confused. Burnt offerings? Yeah. That was the first adventure you did in Rise of the Runes. Oh, I didn't know what it was called. Sorry. Really? It's the playlist is called the Burnt Offerings playlist. I just watch them. They're called episode one. <laughs> okay. Two, three, four, five, six, all the way to 15, I think. 16. Right. So <laughs> the Burnt Offerings uh, adventure, right? It, it, it spanned all over the place, right? You went to uh, the Glassworks and then you went to the la- uh, Catacombs of yep, Wrath yep, 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 and then you mm-hmm. went to. Imagine if they just sold a project, a, a, a book called Thistletop. Yep. And it's a fortress of goblins with an ancient evil demon, Malfish Eknor, bound in the bottom of it that some person has come in and taken over the tribe of goblins and she's trying to release it. 
And that's it. There's no connection. There's no that, ri- there's no rise of the rune lords. Would you call that a lost omens book and just no 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 it's a fully keyed map and everything. Okay. Oh yeah yeah. So yeah. it's more like it's, it's not got like all a, the stats. It's not like a history of no no no. It's more like here's a, an adventure. Yeah, it's an adventure. Okay. But here's the most important part. You go in there. The stakes are there's just a, a dungeon full of goblins. Maybe treasure and treasure. Right, like not you're not trying to save the world. Mm-hmm. The heroes fail. Your campaign isn't over. This sounds like a, what Bob's son okay. is going to be. And then you go in there and you explore it and maybe you get to the end and, oh, it's Malfasheknor and she releases him and you fight him and you get, and then that's it. And then the adventure is over. Okay. I like all that. Done. Right. Move to the next. Right. And then the next adventure could be months later, could be weeks later. Maybe it's in a different part of the world. Maybe the heroes are now doing something completely different. But the point is, it's not part of this grand scheme yeah but people because of you know and think about movies right we're used to like mcu right where every movie's part of this huge inter like movies didn't used to be like right. that tv shows used to not be like that tv shows used to not be like that the right tv shows for the mcu are combined to their movies yeah. too right. now now you have to go to a wiki to figure out how to watch <laughs> the mcu i'm right. sorry i had this before i wanted to yep. watch shield and i was like well shit yeah there's I a break watched, in the middle of shield well i haven't watched all the captain america movies at this yep. at this point in time and so i had to make sure i watched it in the right order yep Right. Specifically, Shield. It's like episodes like one through ten, and then you have to watch a movie, you and then watch you can movie. watch yeah. the rest of the episodes. Yeah, right. yeah. that's so, why this is like okay. mid season. You have to stop <laughs> yeah. and watch a movie. That's like it's wild. ridiculous. Yeah. So <laughs> right, because they assumed that when you were watching it week you to went week, to the theater, then you went to the theater, <laughs> you and, went saw to the theater it, and that it. was yeah. like well, that was the episode for the week was the movie right. in the theater, right? And so that's that's crazy. That's brand new, and people are really digging that. As you know, I mean, the, it feels like everything's connected by the forty billion dollar box office budget of Disney, yeah, right? They're doing well. Okay, they're doing well. Seeing ties, I think, okay. makes people feel connected. I feel like- ties are one thing. Okay. Ties are one thing. Like, I'll give you a great example. Uh in the Ant Man movie, right? They go to steal the tech and oh, it's an Avengers facility mm-hmm. and Falcon is guarding the roof. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's nice. But it's not like essential. Right. right? No. Whereas you see like the end of Ant Man 2 and he gets stuck in the quantum realm. Yep. And then you realize you're like, well, he had to get stuck in the quantum realm because otherwise, how would he have survived the snap and be able to do the time right. travel for you know Marvel? And then you're like, suddenly like that that's like taking that, but then applying that to D D. Mm-hmm. Because now you're like, well, the party has to do this at this time or this, or otherwise the next one, two, three, five adventures are all ruined. That's you're right. So it's not so much a tie, it, it is a must. It's a must. And yeah. it's and it's very challenging because when you're playing an adventure, mm. like a, a classic adventure module, your scope is the next level or two, right? Yeah. Your only concern is what is going to happen in the next couple of weeks or months of, now, of playing. Now for that adventure you talked about, like, okay, we got this little thing and it's about this adventure. And it's, got, it's got keys and stuff of like that. Was that set though? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's the value well, of the adventure. Or they, was it was, also random? It was set both. Because the random part makes me think like, then you could just know, like, it's almost like well, no one ever plays the same. This. First of all, this is, the, we talked about this before, this was called a module. Mm-hmm. So you could put this into your existing campaign. Yes. So if, 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 if Derek, you know, was a, a Pazio writer and he wrote Ventures or Danger at Thistletop, right? Uh, instead of, uh, of, of Rise of the Runelords, right? And I bought this. And I was like, oh, well, you know, screw 
Pazio land. I'm going to put this into Aaron land, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to put this over here next to my sea shanty town. Boom. All right. So that was one aspect of it. It was a module. It was plug and play. And then, yes. I like that. Inside, you know, depending, every venture was different, how it was written. But the ones that we typically liked would have lots of tables that go, hey, by the way, these are the critters that might be walking around. This might be where the dragon is at any point in the day. The dragon I, that, might be that sleeping. Awesome. Might, awesome. But, and this gets to, and I just want to finish this talk because then I'm done with my whole uh, encounter spiel. The other reason I like random encounters and to get what you're talking about here, my favorite part of the game is emergent gameplay. Right? Emergent. Emergent gameplay. When you come to the table as a DM and you don't know what's going to happen and exactly. you roll dice right. and something new happens. And that is my favorite part of the game too. Yeah. But number one, that is terrifying for a lot of DMs. Yes. Number two, you and I have been DM for over 20 years. Yes. Come second nature to us. So it is a skill. It is a learned skill. You have a huge population of people who have not played the game for 20 plus it years. It sounds a little in- And it, it, it can be very intimidating. <laughs> intimidating, yeah. And then third, even if you have played the game for a long time, there's a lot of people who just aren't up for that challenge. Yeah. I mean, it sounds awesome. I want that to happen. I'm nervous that I can't handle that. Yeah. And, and that's right. Now, to be fair, Tinfoil Hat, Tinfoil Hat, uh, they also really haven't done a good job of enabling that. Correct. 100%. They Either through education or through product and, and you that's, might why, see that's why i'm learning from you meaning meaning they haven't not only have they not taught people through their modules through their books how to play an emergent style of game yeah. they also have created a system that is bad at, at emergent that. style of game well, that bad. sounds uh doesn't sound like i piss my profit margins so well right well it doesn't <laughs> i mean it, it yeah it's because it's hard I mean, it's, it's not consistent and consistency is the name of the game well, that's why I really like what we're doing with night school and other things when I well, hang out with yeah, you guys because yeah, it's like right, I, I learn these things. No, I mean, that's also a really good point too, right? The tighter your game gets, right, it, it means that deviations, randomness, create more right. problems for your game, Very true. not less. So if you're doing this sort of emergent style of game and the players made some decisions and the natural emergent consequences of that decision would be that there are now four ogres in this room, not two. Well, in Pathfinder 2, that's just a TPK. Yeah, you're just dead. There's no way. The math is tight. The math is really tight. So by creating, you know, one of the the restrictions of, of, of any sort of process is that you can gain control, you know, it's like, um, it's like sharpening a knife, right? You can, you can make an edge sharper, but then it becomes more brittle Mm -hmm. and more prone to fracture. But you can make an edge blunter. It won't cut as well, but it can take a lot of abuse. Right. And, you know, it won't, the mm-hmm. edge won't immediately dull once it, like, touches something hard. So you have to make that decision when you're sharpening it. Well, it's the same thing with your RPG system. Right? They, it's they, so interesting. They <laughs> have created a razor sharp, okay. you know, edge. There's no really room for wiggle There's room. There's no wiggle room. Right. Yeah. And if you ever, and so it, random counters could be fun. Well, what it means is, it, it what, it means, what it means is, it's like a laser now. Okay, it's a rifle, not a shotgun. Yeah. It is very precise and it will hit what you aim at. Yeah. Right? Which is good if you need it to do do that. But if you want it to do something else, it starts to bend and then it starts to break because it doesn't have the flexibility. And this is honestly where Derek's Night Frictions come from with this game. Yeah. Well, I can see that. So at the end of the game, at the end of the game, like, like, you know, the type of game that we want to play is not necessarily what this engine supports. So either we should play something different or we should play the kind of game that this game wants to support. Uh, yeah. And, and and I'll give you. And so this is kind of yeah. going back to kind of what I, I talked about at the beginning of the episode, which was getting to our recent game. Yeah. I've had the opportunity to play 
for the last couple of weeks, a Pathfinder 2 for the first time ever. And I've had two characters who have both died. Um, and uh, I believe that the reason for this is because uh, my game master, Mr. Aaron Smith over here, mm -hmm. uh, a member of the podcast. Hello. Uh, ran a game of Pathfinder 2 pretty much as written out of the book. Standard boilerplate. But the world, the approach, the nature of the adventures. Not an AP. Was not an AP. <laughs> not an AP. It was a very much a sandbox, emergent style of play. You know, go as uh, deep into the water as you want, including deep over your head. Which has happened for a few times. Okay. <laughs> and then what happens then? Well. Math is not tight. The math. Well, the math is too tight. It's too tight. And <laughs> that we, math is tight. Okay. And we have. have got to start selling those shirts. And we have paid. <laughs> I think we had to give. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Ryan George. Did he actually say math is tight or just said tight. it is tight? No, he just says it's tight. Yeah. yeah. Math is tight. But we know why it's funny. It's funny because of Ryan George. Uh, um, as long as we don't put his picture on it, I think we're good. I mean, that is a yeah. brilliant, brilliant saying. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know how he came up with it, but it was probably super easy. Barely. Uh, barely <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow, 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 wow. So, yeah, so we, we have encountered this because we are taking the game system, not modifying it. And then using it to play a style of play that is traditionally what we have really enjoyed. Right. Emergent, expressive gameplay where the players have a ton of freedom. And then if you do not counteract that with copious amounts of, I, I'll call it hard fudging, but I'll actually say soft fudging. Okay. So a hard fudge is I've rolled behind the screen and it is a 20 and it should be a critical. And I say it's just a hit. Or it's just a miss. Or better yet, more probably more like, how many hit points do you have? Yes. <laughs> and then you're like, oh. anytime your DM ever asks you that, <laughs> nothing you do matters. Uh, I have 20 hit points left. Oh. If you want to have fun, tell them you have one. Okay. <laughs> that, that sounds really funny, though, to do that. Because just torture your DM, right? Because now he can't even hit you. Yeah. Right. He's like, just, oh. He can't throw a blast oh, at you. Just, just miss. He does half a hit point. Yeah. Um, we'll round that down. Round that we'll down. round that down. Um, which you do in Pathfinder 2. Um, and so, uh, yeah. The the um, we we have played it in a way that the game uh, struggles to support, and so hard fudging is not necessarily what I'm talking about. I think a lot of GMs, when you ask them if they fudge, they'll say no, or they'll say very rarely. And what they think that you're now do they tell you yes? Well, some some of them do, but I am proud to fudge. They are very proud because of the story. But I think what a lot of people think about when they think about fudging, and when I ask them that question, and when they tell me that question, and they say oh, I don't, or they say, I, I do it infrequently. They are thinking of hard fudging. And hard fudging is, I've rolled the die behind my screen, it should be a critical hit, and I'm going to tell them it's a hit or a miss. What happens all the time, and I don't think people appreciate this, is soft fudging. Soft fudging is where, you know, you are in an encounter, and it, the monsters should absolutely have moved around the fighters and mm. surrounded the wizard and killed him in the first round. Right? And then they don't. Instead, all the monsters charge the 29 AC champion. Yep. Now, and, I, and I roll the dice and I roll them in front of the screen. How can I be fudging? Right. Yeah. Right. Now, think about. I'm think just of, crippling my part. I'm just crippling my monster. I'm, I'm making bad decisions yeah. or I'm, I'm justifying behavior because I don't want the part. I'm trying to shape the outcome. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, there's a certain amount of leeway in the GM's ability to do this 100%. But there's a lot of times, you know, or someone might say before the encounter begins, they're like, oh, man, uh, the party is uh, really strong right now. Uh, uh, maybe the goblins from that room 
have joined in with the leader room so that there's more monsters. Or, oh, the party's really beat up. Um, maybe, oh, the goblins are on vacation. Maybe, maybe he's getting his uh, really awesome sword waxed. So he doesn't have that for this fight. And see, this is important, right? It's a temptation, right? So one of the things I wrote, I mentioned before about rolling for uh, reactions. I also roll for what are the monsters doing? Mm-hmm. So you remember the last, mm-hmm. one of the fights where the monsters were spread out and their weapons were... Uh, yeah, not- so that wasn't me being nice. That was me rolling. And it, yeah, they weren't ready. It, it said monsters are unprepared. Yep. And I was like, okay, why would they be unprepared in a narrative? Well, they're looting. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, and that I think is the key that I think a lot of people miss. And that's where the real value of the DM comes in. Is that in a, if you were writing a video game, uh, like a, and, you, and you had something in there where it's like, where the party encounters certain monsters, there's a random chance that they will be doing anything, anything. Mm-hmm. You would have to program and code, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like every activity that they were doing. But a DM is smart. They're a person. So you can just say they're ready, they're unprepared, they're sleeping or they're resting or something like that. And the GM can fill in the gaps. Yep. Right. You just need to put them in the right direction. I'm not saying you don't have to like literally spell out every aspect of it completely. Right. But like it's the same thing with like a random encounter or a wandering monster. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the table says the party encounters eight gnolls or nine gnolls. Okay, cool. The hard part, the part that is prone to bias right, has been taken care of me by the game system. But I think it's still much more interesting as a GM if you, like, come up with why are these gnolls here right. and what are they doing what here? What do they want? Where what, are they what going? Are they want? What are what they, they doing? Yeah, what do they want? What are they interested in? And then you could turn it into something that feels real and tangible. The part, which is fine, that's where the, that's where the DM really right. shines. And if you remember that gnoll battle in Derek's game that we played uh, for Panathlook. For Pathfinder yeah, yeah, 1. Yeah, yeah. Pathfinder right, so, 1. Well, yeah, Pathfinder 1. So what was cool about that, right? Uh, I don't know how much this you remember, but we knew that there were gnolls on that mm-hmm. fortified ridge. Mm-hmm. And we avoided them, but we knew that you know they had a lookout. They would have obviously seen us because of the way the terrain was, right? And so we go and we spend the night in the in the ruined farmhouse yep, yep. and in the warks attack, right? But in the next day, Derek rolled randomly. These gnolls attacked, and it became very clear to Derek. I was like, "Oh, well, they clearly saw the party, and now they're sending out a war party to deal with this iron fort, right?" So it all fell into place, and it was cool, and it was interesting. Yeah, it and, you know, feels natural. It was very natural. I felt like, "Oh, of course, the gnolls could have been there, right?" Yep. And, then, and reinforcing what Derek's saying there, that is part of the the job of the GM, right? Like. You know, these APs have all the structure around it, right? But, you know, when you roll something randomly, you know, you're not supposed to just be like, oh, 10 nulls appear, you're surrounded, right? That's bad, right? The job of the GM is to make it like part of the world, make it canon, make well, it in there. Role you know? playing games, in role my example, are, are the interface between the mechanical and the fictional. Yes. Right? If you are just writing stories and acting and playing things out and not rolling dice, you're not playing a role-playing game. If you are just moving minis on a battle mat and making attacks and it doesn't tie into anything else and there's no, there's no world or situation or story, you're not rolling, playing a role-playing game. Right. A role-playing game is defined as being the middle point of those two things yep. where you are basically playing a board game but with the added caveat that the th- actions that you are taking in the board game are informing and, and and motivating a fictional world that you are building while you play the game, and so to do anything else than that, you're not playing. Yeah. A, you're not playing a role playing game, and, in my and, opinion. And the things that you roll, and the actions that the players take, and the actions that the DM takes, like all those build the yeah. next step now, of the world. That being said, running an adventure path 
for a lot of DMs and GMs is probably going to give you a better outcome than you trying to run your own game. Especially if you're new. Because they just do not know or have the skill to do it. And here's the thing. Once upon a time, that didn't matter. Because you were in a horrible game <laughs> with your brand new GM. Anyway. Okay, with your brand new GM. But you're playing D&D, you're rolling dice, and it was seemed awesome to you. And your GM would get better. And they would get better. Right. And they would get better. Right. But now... And then one day they would do a podcast. Okay. And then, but now... You go to play with your horrible GM, and you've been watching Critical Role for five years. You've been listening to the Glass Cannon podcast. You might feel better about yourself if you've been listening or watching Nights of Last Call. Yo. Yeah, hey, you'd, you'd feel way better. You'd feel well better. You're like, oh, this is what I'm, you know. When people like us, it's not because they're like, wow, you guys are inspiring me. You're like, oh, you're making me feel better yeah, about my group. You're like relatable in like a bad way. <laughs> yeah, relatable in a bad way. Here's, oh, that's I'm, the bar? I, I can just step right over that. Yeah, that, if that's the bar, I feel much better about myself. <laughs> um, and so now players are coming into role-playing games with a huge expectation yeah. of what the game should be. And as a GM, you feel incredible pressure to deliver on that. And it's not even pressure. It, it's literal pressure because your players are going to go. I watched Critical Role too. Mercer. Like, your players are going to go, oh, this isn't what I was expecting. Yeah, not I just was the GMs I was watching it. The players I was watch expecting, it. <laughs> I was expecting Marvel Cinematic Universe yep. Uh, tie-in plot, massive world-spanning thing, and with Thanos, blah blah blah, right? And it, it, the equivalent would be players sit, forget D and D. Your players come to play your superhero game, mm -hmm. right? And they have spent the last ten years watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they are expecting the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I'm not going to deliver to you the Marvel Cinematic Universe. D and D used to shortcut that because there was no analog. Yeah. D and D was its own thing. Right. You had Lord of the Rings, which was written in the seven, you know, the sixties. Right. That was the only you know component. Um, or no, the forties. It was written in the forties. It wasn't published no, for a long time. It wasn't published, but he wrote it in the World yeah. War Two. But yeah. anyways, now you've got not just Lord of the Rings films and all these other you great got the Dungeons and Dragons movies. Okay? <laughs> you have actual paid professional actors playing the very same game you're playing. And you watch them play it, and if that's how you're, you're introduced to the game, now, as a GM, you feel immense pressure to deliver. Well, how do I do that? I, I, I have to follow this pre-written plot. I have to follow this pre-written thing. And you're terrified of the players vi varying from that because you don't know how to go off of script from that. And quite frankly, not only do you not want to go off script from that, to be honest with you, your players don't want you to go off script from that. They're like, no, no, I don't want my DM making stuff up because it's going to be horrible. And fumble all over the place. And it's going to be horrible. But we know this written adventure is supposed to be good. But if we stick good. on the written adventure, it's going to be sweet. There's going to be a beginning, middle, and end. Right? Because I want to beat the game because it's a video beat game. the game. I want the credits to roll and then on to the next one. Right? Yeah. Right? I know. I agree. I like to beat the game. Right. I like and, to and, finish And here's the funny the, thing. D&D, one of the things that always people used to pay is, you know, like, well, how do you win Dungeons and Dragons? They say, you don't. You just play forever. There's no end. Ever. Ever. That was like, that was the thing. My cousin played in a campaign in the 80s that lasted a decade. Or more. What, when does it end? When does the world end? Your characters, when does my character story, when, when he dies of old age? Or retires. You know, you know, roll up or, a new guy or, or just, yeah. When you completely retire the character, there is no yep. credits roll. It's like when we watch these movies, the, the credits roll, but in a D and D game, they never roll. It just keeps going. 
right? Like they stop Thanos. And I think, it's like, I yeah. think people nowadays would think that would cut, be a disadvantage versus like cut to the, the main purpose cut of the Cut to game. the cool end credits. I, I like, like the I like there being an ending. I like, like like I've said this before, I don't like unresolved issues. <laughs> so you hate life? Listen, we've talked about this too. <laughs> You're like, this is why I have crippling anxiety. <laughs> I have crippling anxiety. Um, but I do like that the path, and says one at level one to 10, there is a thing that's going to happen. We are going to try to solve that thing, and then we are going to solve it or die. Well, well, what if it that wasn't was, that's cool. the ending, but it had a ending? That's fine. Something so has lots, to be resolved. Lots of little endings. Well, that, actually, what I thought was cool about the module idea, it's like, okay, they could just sell cool modules that you could just place in your game. It's like, okay, there's a treasure in that thing. That's the ending. Get the treasure, then get out of the dungeon. Yes, like adventures would be concluded. I love right. that. But your character, so so I don't and, need the well, full and, thing. And, and by the way, that's what that article. Who did that? Who did that? Uh, that video essay about Tracy Hickman was it? Um, who did it? I don't remember. I don't know. Was it DM Lair? It was somebody. But he basically said how Tracy Hickman ruined D and D. But what oh, he, I think this was DM Lair. Okay. But what he said was really because Tracy Hickman introduced the concept of the sort of narrative adventure that 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 games should be about more than just getting treasure and loot. Right. That, that, that there should be story-based objectives that, you know, that the heroes want to accomplish, not because they're mercenaries, not because they're trying to level up. The, the goal of the game should be, I want to do heroic things, mm-hmm. and then the game should reward me for doing heroic things right. with levels. The caveat that he put to that, and, and he said, and people have been shitting on Tracy Hickman for 30 years for, quote unquote, ruining Dungeons and Dragons, because that concept <laughs> doesn't work with the core rules of Dungeons and Dragons, by the way. Then he sued Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but uh, the, the thing that he said in this video, which was very insightful, was it wasn't Tracy Hickman's fault. He did say those things. But when Tracy Hickman was saying those things, he was thinking about it in the context of an adventure. Yeah. A module. You come to a town. And the town needs saving. And you do it because you are good heroes. And you're going to get experience points because you are heroic. And you're going to save the town. And Finn, end of the adventure. Yeah. Tracy Hickman never thought that you would take that concept and apply it to the whole, 1 to 20. Your entire yeah, the whole life. world. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. it would be one big adventure, a path, you may say, all the way from level 1 to 20. And, and that, that concept, and so to... to and, you know, to to put that on Tracy Hickman, he said, was unfair because Tracy Hickman was simply saying that's a cool concept for what, what at the time was basically a module or yeah, an adventure. Yeah. And instead of just saying, here's a location with a bunch of monsters and, and treasure and stuff going on inside of it, a, a situation. Tracy Hickman said, here's a plot. Here's an opportunity for the heroes to be heroic if they follow the plot. Well, I, but I, his I, idea was and then it was ended. The, I like that. The narrative There's an ending. I'm good. Like, like heroism from a narrative standpoint has also shifted definition over the decades because it used to be right. Like if you look at Conan, the barbarian today, by probably most people's standards, he's not considered a hero. Okay. Sure. But he was considered a hero back when, when that type of Pulp Fiction was very um, popular. And because the idea of a hero was, you know, someone who was really strong or had these abilities or cool stuff uh, particularly in this genre, uh, would go out and they would fight horrible things in horrible places because no one else would do that. Right? Now, Conan has got to do it. Conan was doing it because he wanted money and, you know, build a kingdom and power, like and power, right? But at the end of the day, he was killing really bad things that were going to do bad things to good people. And that made it heroic. And he was very brave when he did it. And that was heroic. And then the interesting thing about the Conan novels is when you read it, 
Conan starts off. He's poor. He's got nothing. Uh, and then someone goes, please help. He's like, I don't care. I don't want to do it. And then eventually he gets involved either because of a woman or because of the chance of wealth, sometimes both. And then by the end, he's actually doing the right thing for the right reasons. But right? yeah, it wasn't his original. Plan. It wasn't his original plan, right? right. Um, now, it's interesting that you bring that up about hero because the modern game wants you to be a hero. Right. Yeah. And so what's more heroic than okay. critically failing? So what they have introduced recently in the most recent version of the game, fifth edition and Pathfinder two is a way to quote unquote, be heroic. Fifth edition, this is called inspiration. And in Pathfinder two it is called a hero point. And the idea of this is an understanding. It is taking a step back and saying, and this should be your first indication that we're in for a problem. <laughs> Our game has changed. We are now trying to to use it to create different types of stories than we have ever done before. Mm -hmm. And that these player characters are heroes and they are going on heroes journeys. And we are now trying to emulate not a simulation of reality, but a recreation of movies, television, books. Right. Yep. We have an author and a script. heroic hero. media. Okay. Heroic media. And that's what people are signing up for doing. And they, they make this understanding. Our game is really bad at recreating that. Because instead of relying on a script writer who just writes what happens, we have a lot of fucking random dice rolls. So what do we do? Do we create a game that's actually good at creating that kind of story? No. That would <laughs> a, a tiny no, no, no. bit more favorable. That, that might upset the game. Well, what they decided to do instead with Pathfinder 2's approach was to make the math really, really tight. And they made it so that unless you go over that critical threshold, your characters really should almost always win. But it's a D20. There's always a chance of rolling a one at a bad time or maybe even back-to-back -back ones where it would be really, really bad. Yep. So they had to go another step further, right? This is like... Patching a hole and no, understanding. You know what the analogy here is? Bob will get this. Matrix 2 with the architect. Mm -hmm. Remember that conversation? Yeah, a hard to follow conversation, yes. Okay, uh, it's a good point. That's probably hard. For, all right. Well, the <laughs> whole point of Neo was that there had to be some chance in mm -hmm. the system, mm -hmm. right? And there, Neo was basically the rounding yeah, error. The choice. Right. The hero point system is the rounding error. It's the rounding error. You have to have a little bit of choice because otherwise the game won't work. Yep. Right. Right. But but like Jason is actually the architect sitting in the room with all the monitors of all the different APs on. And like you, you know, like, like Derek's the player, right? He walks in because he's like, no, I, I want to go on adventures and make choices, not not follow these stupid APs. And Jason's like, no, we can't do that. I can't, I can't do it. It's been like 20 years since I saw that movie. But. The, the, the point is, like you uh, the right, if you're listening and you're not, you know, 40 years old, and so you have no <laughs> idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Matrix um, were yeah. a series of popular movies <laughs> in the early 2000s. The point I'm trying to make is that the game is designed so that over a number of dice rolls, at a, if you follow the math in the books, the players will win. Yep. Like almost every time. But because you are rolling dice, in theory, you might not win. You or there playing, is a they're playing in Brandis's okay, campaign or playing my game. Okay, <laughs> or if you are not playing in a game where the rules and the presentation is done in a systematic adventure pathway, but in a more exploratory, optional way, where if you want to go into the deep end and you don't know how to swim, you can go into the deep end. Okay, the game now says, okay, so if you're if you're playing inside the lanes, 
you will win every time, but we are using dice. So there is a small chance that something could still go wrong. So here are hero points. Right. To try to alleviate that rounding error in the math. But. But. This brings us to what we hinted at at the beginning <laughs> of the session. Or have sorry, an oopsie. Of the, of the podcast. There's an oopsie in the design. So let's talk about what happened this Friday. <laughs> okay. So we made new characters. I made a Magus. Yep. A Magus. Um, Bob, you made a, a witch, a witch, a winter witch, winter, winter witch, witch. A familiar the yeah. winter witch. Our, our buddy George made a fighter mm-hmm. and our buddy Kaz made an inventor. Right. Okay. So we like the inventor more than the Oracle. That was very cool. It seems like his kind of character class. Yes. So the game, well, I actually, I thought it would be more George's. So the but. game started off pretty regular normal. Now already I was kind of kicking the tires of the Magus and a little chafing at the, we were level two, by the way. And I was already a little chafing because as a level two Magus, I had two first level spells. That's it mm-hmm. per day. So we are encountering, we've discovered the, the city is being attacked. Goblins have stormed out of the sewers, the, the abandoned sewers underneath the city and uh, are burning the town and uh, creating an attack. And we want to try to stop them. So we're fighting our way through burning city blocks uh, of, of roving bands of goblins fighting with town guardsmen coming across brutal scenes of slain villagers and peasants. Ben, if you're listening to this, and I know you are because you're editing this, uh, I used the deep crawl system to uh, abstract the city, and it was awesome. Okay. Aaron used the deep crawl system to extrapolate the city. Not an AP. Not, not with that. <laughs> definitely not an AP. Definitely not an AP. <laughs> and part of this concept was that as time went on, things got more dangerous and more dangerous. And we felt it. So we get to a point where um, there's an opportunity. This is earlier on. And I didn't really understand where we were going with this. I just thought we were fighting goblins. I didn't really have a concept of, of, of there being a a final boss or a final confrontation. I didn't, to me, it felt very emergent for as far as I was concerned. It was all just random encounters. Yeah. So we get to the first moment where my, uh, Magus is down to his final, uh, first level spell. And there's an opportunity for him. There's a goblin commando, full hit points, uh, giving us a lot of trouble. And there's an opportunity for my character to go up and really, uh, seal the deal. Take care of this guy in one fell, one shot, one shot, go up, use my spell strike, use my shocking grasp, for an additional 2d12 damage. Uh, and I missed. So I used my hero point and I re-rolled and it was a now a critical miss, which to be fair, makes no difference. Correct. It was just extra mocking. Now, right off the bat, this is a problem. And the reason why this is a problem is this was a great moment for my character to step up and shine. I had been... You might say heroic. Yeah, be heroic. Mm-hmm. Not only that, this hero point was an award. Mm-hmm. It was a reward for playing the game and doing something fun, making a funny joke, being particularly awesome. There's an award. So I'm using this. But here's the thing. Actually, I think you got that hero point because there was a, the party, bef- the, the war party before that you guys engaged. And that was a pretty high encounter. And you guys are like, well, we're going to take these guys out because we're going to take out goblins to defend the city. Gotcha. And just for taking that encounter, I was like, hero point. So that was like a real reward. Not sure. even just like, oh, an hour has passed. Mm-hmm. Like, no. Awesome, guys. Good job being heroes. Here you go. This will screw you over Now, Now, the first problem with this is it's a unique situation, a unique problem that is unique to Pathfinder 2. Not a problem for 5th edition, actually, which is it's it's a psychological thing. If I had had no hero points, zero, and I had made my spell strike, missed, I would have felt bad, but I would have been like, that. that's just the way it goes. Tough breaks. D&D, you roll dice. Yeah. That happens. 
but to give me hope. And not only to have that hope turn to despair, but also the realization that that hero point has been spent. So in a sense, I have paid money or resources. I've given up my reward to do worse. You earned something, you used it, and it was was nothing. That made me feel worse right. than just missing. Yep. If I had just missed and there were no hero points at all in the game, period. And like, like compare that to like 5th edition advantage where you roll twice and take the higher. And maybe you roll a 5 and a 6. Doesn't feel nearly as bad as that. It does not. I mean, when you spend your inspiration. Because in PF2, you have, to, you have to take the second. You have to take the second. Whereas inspiration, you just take the higher. Yeah, but inspiration has the problem that you, you have to use it before you roll. Oh, okay. Yeah. So inspiration okay. has its own problem. Okay, okay. Because very rarely do you find yourself in a situation where you say, I'm going I to think be. I'm going to fail, <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to spend my inspiration, okay, right? fair enough. It's more of, I really got to succeed at this. Right. right? Um, and so, don't, trust me, I'm sure there's a lot of situations where people have heartache in 5th edition where they go, you know what? I need a 6 or a 5 yeah. to hit this guy. I have inspiration. You can't bank inspiration fifth edition, right? Uh, despite what we think because right, of our game, right. um, we, we turned it into inspiration points, but you can only have it or you don't have it. So you can't save it um, up. And so you're like, Oh, I need a five or higher to hit this guy. I'm not going to use my inspiration to you. And then you roll a three yep. and then you feel horrible right. because you're like, oh, I ha- I'm sitting here with the inspiration. Why didn't I just use it when you're like, well, cause it would have been stupid. You were 80% to succeed. You played it right. But, that was disappointing, but what was really horrifying was the final fight. Oh, yeah. Where two, our party of four level two players fought two level three monsters. So that is a... Uh, 120. A 120 experience points, severe encounter. And these monsters were essentially pulled from the bestiary or created by the book with the GMG yep. damage guidelines and the GMG uh, ability modifiers. Yep. One level higher than the party. So even like spells were not impacted by in-cap. Correct. Not that we really had anything. My point is that this wasn't like a level four. Right. Or a four it wasn't a four plus. Yeah. So by the book, it, this is like a minor boss. Sure. Two minor bosses. Yeah. Um, and what ended up happening was uh, the uh, River Drake has an acid spit and it uh, hawked a loogie at our fighter. And the fighter had a mid 20s. And uh, did a good get a, did a good chunk of damage, like twenty damage, eighteen damage, nineteen damage. It's a lot of damage. Damage is rolled in front. Yeah, so yeah, everyone the, oh yeah, it. by the way, all these dice are rolled are rolled in front. Yep. So fighter uh, has is an expert in reflex, has decent dexterity. Um, it's going to take twenty damage ish of their twenty five hit points. Yeah, seems pretty. Going to suck. Going <laughs> to suck. Fighter decides to spend a hero point because he he's, he failed his roll. He, yeah, he rolls a saving yeah. throw, fails. He doesn't want to take the 20 points of damage for a normal failure. Yeah, he doesn't want to take 20 points of damage for a normal failure. He instead spends a hero point, rolls in that one, that takes 40. Yep. Dying crit, two. And, and dying now, two. So now he's crit and now he's dying two. That's like the first round of the fight. Yep. yep. That was the first round. So now we're on now we're uh, now we're uh, trying to play catch up, right? And um, the uh, other the not the the goblin warrior uh, joins the fray. And he does so within a, an attack that basically mimics uh, an acid splash spell, mm-hmm. which is a, a first level wizard spell that does 2d6 points of damage in an area around them. And you can hide it at level two. It does 46 and 66. Well, this guy was level three. This basically was m- using the GMG math yep. modeled after that. It was an AOE five foot emanation for D6 damage. Well, several players got caught in this, including Bob. Yep. 
we rolled the dice, 4d6 damage. It was, you know, 19, 18 points of damage, 17 points of damage. Bob is playing Witch, doesn't have 30 hit points. Bob only has like... I think I had 25. 25, 24 hit points. Well, Bob's reflex is not as good nope. as the fighters, so he fails. Bob chooses to re-roll with the hero point. Yeah. He rolls like a three. No, I rolled the net one. Oh, did you roll a net one? one. <laughs> I was like, there's no way that I can make uh, this worse. Okay. But to be clear... Oh, yeah, I'll make it worse. But to be clear... The DC of this of this effect was like nineteen or twenty. Yeah, and Bob had like a plus six or something. Six or seven. Six or seven to his reflex. Probably seven. Actually, yeah, I think it was seven. You're probably I had, trained. Or I something. Had three decks. And, and three decks, yeah. and you were trained. So that's actually exactly seven. So that means he needed a thirteen to succeed, which means he crit fails on a one, two, or three. But you did roll in that one. Yes. But you could have rolled a two. So you, you could have rolled crit a, failed. Yeah. You could have rolled a one. Yeah. You could have rolled a two. I think my first roll was a seven. I was like, okay, that's bad. But I got, I got lots of hero points. Right. You know, I got a couple right. that I was and rewarded through the game. What, what we realized. Like for like four hours. I'm like, all right, well, I got right. lots. So Bob spent a hero point. His second roll is a critical failure. Yep. He, he takes double damage. 40-ish he, damage. He's dying too. Yep. And at that point, the writing was on the wall. Yep. Um, my character, uh, uh, some I got killed somehow. Oh, I, oh, okay. Yeah, you, okay. you intentionally. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I there tried. There was a limited mechanic that you stepped in. I had, I had, I won a last opportunity to try to use a scroll to yes. try to do something to this boss monster. And, you know, at this point I was maybe, I was, my character was good and I was feeling a little, I was feeling a little fatalistic myself. Yes. I didn't really care if I lived or died. Uh, Derek was very much done. Oh yeah. Point I should session. also point out at some point during he the session, his I threw my character right. sheet across the room just as like being like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Um, and and I, so, so, so yeah, to declare. So so Derek missed with that one spell attack, uh, threw his character sheet away. Then the goblin critically intimidated him for minus two, and then the goblin crit him and dropped him to dying one. Oh, yeah, right, exactly. Right, exactly. So yeah. I missed, spent a hero point, yeah. critically failed. Then I got critically intimidated. And by the way, none of these were on 20s. It was just you know Pathfinder 2. Yeah. Like the guy crit me on like a 15 or something yeah. or 16. Then with my minus two to my AC, now he critically hit me on like a 14. I think he did roll 20 on that. And then, uh, and then I was just dead. I was dying there. Yeah. So, so Derek was very done by this point. And, and, and what we realized was that we hero, barely even hit the boss. What, well, yeah. We had I think no, we hit the goblin like uh, once or twice. The, the Drake never even touched that thing. You actually hit him with your crossbow. Yeah, I was like, I feel like we did something, but it was like, like the littlest bit. Well, we I, just got dropped so damn fast. Derek, Derek's attack in that fight, which he's getting to here, was very significant. Yeah, so when yeah. I finally encountered yeah. the boss again, I used a scroll to try to spell strike him again. It succeeded. I hit him. I didn't crit. I was trying to go for a crit. Oh, so you're crit fishing. That's I right. was crit fishing. Didn't get it. I did like 18 damage to him, which is good, but he's a level three he's monster. Good. He's, he's going to have like 40 hit points or something like that. Um, yeah, we, we were hoping that if we killed the goblin, the Drake would somehow just fly off. The Drake would just hopefully we just fly away. Survive. <laughs> but now, granted, this does point to a couple of things in Pathfinder 2, which is that uh, flying creatures are probably too powerful at low levels. Yeah. Shouldn't exist. Um, or at least they, they shouldn't either be that level. Like, it should have the stat. The problem is level in Pathfinder 2, as I understand it, is based off of the stats. A level three river drake flying through the air, dropping a AOE spitting is very different than a level three creature that's just on the ground with speed 20. Right. But they're both level three because their stats are the same. Right. Uh, that part yeah, I don't that, buy. That, that Drake had a 50 shot attack. Right. And right, which is longer than most people's 30 foot range. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then it had special powers now, I'm that not, let it move super fast. It's not in my nature out. to always agree with Nonat, but Nonat did a thing where he shat on the beginner box set of Pathfinder 2 because he said they went back to fight the final fight there, mm -hmm. which, spoiler alert. Oh, for, spoiler, if you're listening now, spoiler. spoiler. for uh, Menace Under Atari. Mm -hmm. 
um, the final fight was a like a, a green wormling green mm-hmm. dragon. And a baby it, wormling. No, uh, well, it's not a baby. Baby wormling. I think it's and, level three in the beginner box. Which is still a baby. Wormlings are babies. So oh, when okay. You, when you're saying something's a baby baby, that's like me saying, like, what's this? You're like, this is my baby son. Baby, baby, <laughs> oh. It, no, wow. You need to get out more, Bob. Can we can we cut this? This is me getting out. I got here. I came here. <laughs> this really every, is every time out. I hang out with Bob, all he talks about is Disney songs and um like Panto's pr- legit pr- pr- and princess makeup tips. Also good. Um so so tangent. Uh I took my daughter Please once no. to uh Disney World and I don't I don't know if you've gone there recently or uh, a ever. year and a half ago. Uh do you have do you have a little girl? Yep. Okay. Did you take her to the uh princess makeup? No, it's a zillion dollars. Ah, well, so <laughs> it's I like a hundred dollars to get their hair done. Yeah, well, I we took did her that, to that ourselves. I took her to that, and it was amazing. They uh, pull your hair so tight you can't breathe. Here's the thing: she feels like a princess. We made her feel like a princess. So this, this, some sparkle this was in her hair. She was four years old at the time. So Alex was four years old. So this is like four years ago, right? Uh, we got her all done. They dressed her up, did her hair, like put her in a dress. You should have seen her. She was walking down Main Street Disney. She, I don't even know how she learned it. She was doing the oh, princess yeah. wave, waving it because everyone was like, "Oh, look how cute!" Right? She's literally walking down the middle of the street, waving to everyone like they're peasants. I got a picture of it. It's on my desk at work. It's fucking amazing. I, I think the it. makeup thing was cheaper, but if you wanted the hair, it was super expensive. We, I think we did the makeup only. She had her, she she went with the Sophia so look. She had the Sophia locket. And oh, everything. I like Sophia too. Yeah, Sophia was actually a good show. Yeah, I don't know that show, but so anyway. Thanks for the tangent. My point. That's a wizard. You might like it, actually. So my point is that my uh, my point is is that these hero points, uh, not only did they not make us feel heroic, spending them made us worse. The opposite. The opposite. We died. It was awful. We died in this fight. Now I should say that a couple times during that adventure, or sorry, this uh, that we were doing, uh, the fighter had rolled his hero point from a failure to just fail again. Like he had rolled uh, five to a five or five to a four. Even that wasn't heroic, but at least it wasn't as bad as going worse. Getting worse, and, and not only getting worse, but going because Dying of the way, too. because of the way, so bad. Because here's the thing: when you play Pathfinder Two, it is a natural reaction that you think this is a limited resource for when the shit hits the fan, right? yes. for the big time. That's the worst time to use it. Well, the, unless unless you've completely, unless the shit has now exploded from the fan. So if you, if you critically we, fail, you have nothing to lose. What we have learned. Yeah, because I would think your hero points in Pathfinder 2, you're not using it to, like, maybe I can get a critical success from a success. No, because I could fail. Right. The time people are using it is when they fail. Well, no, but right. no, 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 no. You should only use it when you critically that's fail. The, that was that's, the key, well, the key takeaway. We should just bank okay. them. The key takeaway is this. Hero points are not there to make you be heroic. They are there to prevent you from being a little bitch. Yes. Yeah. So in, 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 because there is a natural reaction to want to use hero points and save them for the big fight yep. because that's when you want to bust them out and that's when you want to succeed. But guess that what? Just you killed. That, that's when you're most likely to critically fail. That means when a, mon- when a high level monster, high level lich throws a death spell at you and you fail, guess what? You're lucky. That you just failed. You're lucky that you just failed because that guy's higher level than you. Mm-hmm. You had a 20% chance one, two, three, or four of critically failing. And that would have been really bad for so if you. You're, if you're using raw hero points, only use them when you crit fail. So what you are trying you, to there's avoid. There's nothing worse than that. What you, what you have to accept in Pathfinder 2, this guy's higher level than me. He is my lord and master. He is going to toss me around like a, like a high school senior beating up on a middle school. Heroic fantasy right, right here. Very much heroic fantasy. <laughs> and so my dream of 
challenging this person and calling upon my heroic depths to accomplish the mighty, that is not no. how this works. You gotta peck him to death like a horde of ducks to eventually well, it's more he like falls I'm just over. Surviving the or I guess it's like I'm just surviving the super bad thing. It doesn't right, seem because very even heroic. when a monster is higher level than you, let's use the math for example. If a monster was significant was a couple levels higher than you, you might be in a situation where you fail a save on a one, two, three, or four. Yes, critical. I'm sorry, critically fail critical a save. Fail, yeah. That means you have a twenty percent chance. Yep. of critically failing. That's a one in five chance. Yep. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, a, you're going to critically fail. But if you spend a hero point, if you accept, I'm going to spend a hero point every time I critically fail a save, then your odds of double critically failing are one in twenty five. Yep. And is, and you can't get worse. Right, and by definition, you can't get worse. You could still spend a hero point, critically fail again, and then feel bad about yourself. Right, but, but you're not going to feel worse. But when you fail, which you have obviously have a, if you have a high chance of critically failing, yeah. you obviously have a, a very large chance of regular failing. Right, right, right. When you use a hero point to try to, quote, do better, you're actually just rolling the dice again. You're, it's like Russian roulette. Yes. You yeah. got lucky. You missed the bullet. And then you're spending one of your hero points to spin the chamber again. Because you're all you're doing is setting yourself up to fail, to critically fail again. In fact, when you're fighting in a situation where the outcome is 20% by definition of the way the math works in Pathfinder 2, if you have a 20% chance of critically failing, it means you have a 50% chance of failing, 10, 10 number range, that's your 10 numbers, that's 70%. And then you have a 25% chance of succeeding and a 5%, nat 20, of critically succeeding. That means the expected outcome of your dice roll 70% of it yep. is either failure or critical failure. So if you fail the first time and then you re-roll, that's just that classic player hubris. Yep. That classic, like, I'm going to win the lotto, be, you know, or like, or like someone's on their last dollar at the Vegas casino. Yeah, but you don't want to fail. Right. In the heroic moment. Of course not. That's why you spend your hero points and get I fucked. I know. That's what I'm saying. And that's what happened to us. But it's, it's, a, it's a life lesson because the, the, the game system is not designed for heroic play. They didn't design it that way. They were either afraid to, they were ignorant to it. I don't know what the point is. The point is, there are ways that you can make that mechanic. Now, people shit on me for how powerful my hero points are in Rise of the Rune Lords, but the reason I have my hero point mechanic in Rise of the Rune Lords, where spending a hero point takes your condition and increases it by one category. Or decreases in terms of a... You can even avoid yeah. that. You oh, can yeah, even yeah. skip that. The reason I do that is for two reasons. One, it gives you that narrative plot armor. Okay, the mo I did critically fail. The monster did 20 damage. Now I'm going to take 40 damage and go immediately to dying two. In the first round of the combat, I rolled a crit failure. Yep. Well, that sucks. I'm going to spend a hero point to upgrade it from a critical failure to just a regular failure, and I'm still in the game. That's right. But it also allows you to be that big, bad hero moment where you pull out all the stops mm -hmm. and you turn failure into success, especially against the odds. Right. Yes. Because the key thing in my situation, we talked about this before, if you had a 20% chance of critically failing, a 50% chance of regular failing, a 25% chance of succeeding, and that 5% top end chance yep. of critically succeeding, that means that if you're prepared in your mind to spend a hero point, you have changed it from a 20% critical failure, 50% failure, 25% success, 5% critical success. The failure now becomes a success. Right? Oh, yeah. So now you have a 50% chance of success right. and a 30% chance of critical success. Right. And you can't critically fail. Because you're going to spend, if you're locked into spending yeah. a hero point, and That's, you can't critically fail. That feels awesome. So taking against a boss monster where the expected outcome is 70% of the time you are going to miss your attack roll, which sucks. 
That means, Missing sucks. That means you're going to hit three times in ten attacks. But in my game, if you spend a hero point, you will now hit 70. I'm sorry, 80% of the time yeah. you will hit. And 30 points of that 80 points is a critical. And I will say, now people that are, if they've just listened to you and haven't watched your AP, are freaking out, how could you do that? Derek doesn't award hero points like like the raw, like once an hour to ram. He actually These, went over to math today. It was like two to three a level. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I was, I was going to say, I was going to probably check with Bob, but I was like, I'd probably give about one or two per level. Yeah, I feel like when we beat the boss, we got one. Yeah. Like that's how we, yeah. it was not like every yeah. session. But I should also know. <laughs> and, and they don't start with one every session. And, and we do not they, start with And one. they don't reset. Yeah, they, don't they, reset. Don't, they don't go away. Yeah, so you, you you're at zero, you're at zero so I would literally but, bank mine yeah. if, if, I, if I thought I needed it. I would have like two or three by the time we'd fight the big boss. If we right. really got to it, like I was saving it over the course of a few sessions. levels. Yeah, se- definitely levels. sessions. <laughs> I'm like, all right, we got to this thing. It's like the, we're going to fight Lamash. Too. Lamash? No, uh, Noalia. Like we're going to fight Noalia. This is giant snake. Oh, that's Xanisha. Xanisha. Sorry. What, what, what is she? She's a, uh, she's a Lamia. Lamia. That, that was the uh, L word. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, Asimar. Yeah. Noalia is the Asimar. So yeah. we were like, I, we need to hit. Like I rolled a cess. No, no, I didn't. I've been thinking about this for weeks and months. Critical success. This feels awesome. Yeah. That did also suck though, because later on, I didn't have any hero points to keep going. I was like, oh boy, I'm I'm running low. So they're not just like giving out freely. Right. But even it, but, but I felt but, very but heroic fair, in that fight. You could even still give out hero points more often where you're giving out, you know, a couple per session, um, or everybody starts with one. And at least it's going to accomplish the goal that you set out to do. Yes. Yeah. Which is don't aren't you playing this game? Like if you are if you are doing any amount of fudging in your game, soft or hard. You should already be using this rule yep. because you're already clearly expecting and wanting the players to right. win. And now they feel awesome about but it. But now instead they feel of awesome like instead, you of, quietly cheating. instead of you quietly cheating behind the scenes. Let them feel empowered. And you took this mechanic actually from PF2. Like this PF, this mechanic of, of, of upgrading or de- downgrading. In Correct. Terms. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. actually built into the game. This yeah, isn't something Derek just made up. Do it. Right. They're not feats. They're features. Yeah. Well, like, when, uh, when you uh, upgrade success, ancestry feats often do something like this. Yeah, well, no, but there's all, other feats all, that do all, it everyone too. Get, like all the like the barbarian, yeah. uh, the rogue, like the rogues. Doesn't like resilient armor do it too? When your um, you know, juggernaut makes your fortitude save go yep. from expert to master, and yep. when you roll a failure, it's treated as a you know a critical failure. It's treated as a regular failure, and when yep. you treat it, you roll a success. It's treated as a critical success. So I just took that concept yeah. and just made it a resource that great. you could apply. But other games do too. I think you mentioned like some games like the second roll is like plus ten if it's under ten or yeah, something. So, right. Yeah, the real the real inspiration for it was mutants and masterminds, where if you spend a hero point, you have to re-roll a d20. But if the number re-rolled was between one and ten, you added ten to it. Yeah. So basically, the lowest you could roll was an eleven. Yeah. But you, you so now you make that decision. Okay, the lowest I can get is eleven. So do I need to use it here? Yes, I do. And I'm not going to critically fail. Right. You're, not, you're certainly not going to do worse. Yeah. And if you're in a situation where you go, I know I hit on an 11, you know, and it's also just kind of counterintuitive because. I'm going to tell you how bad that, that fight sucked. Well, because here's the problem. Hero points increase your chance of hitting. But the way statistics and math work, people don't think about it this way. Tight. Okay. Let's say that you need a, let's say that you need a 15 to hit a, to hit a boss monster. Okay. You hit them on a 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, and 20. That's six numbers, right? So that's a 30% chance of hitting that boss. So in your mind, you're like, I'm going to spend it. I'm going to attack him, and I'll spend a hero point and whatever to reroll. The, ch- the fact is that you're, you're absolutely correct. If you are going to essentially roll twice, the odds that you will miss is actually the odds that you will, uh, or sorry, the odds that you will hit are better 
Okay, because now you have to miss twice, mm-hmm. which is 70% times 70%, which is 49%, which means your odds of hitting are actually 51% yep. when you spend a hero point. But that's the aggregate. After you've missed that first time, right, and now you're like, now I'm going to spend that hero point, you don't have a 51% chance of hitting on the next one. You just still have a 30% chance. In aggregate, you have. But once you're already into that yeah. routine, it's not like your odds go up. You're, they're just as bad as they were the first attack. Right. You've already, you're actually already shit down shit creek because you missed with the first attack. Right. So you don't get the benefit of that anymore. So there's a, there's a natural. Now you can crit fail, which well, is even freaking worse. Well, not with an attack because they don't make a difference. Oh, but, okay, you're but, right. But, but you're like right. there's a natural reaction to think this hero point is somehow going to make you better. And it's not because no one spends a hero point when you mit, when you hit. Right. Oh, right. I want to get that critical success. Yeah, I mean, I don't you think... Hit, you hit, you say your point, Yeah, you I mean, fail. I don't think... I think the number of people who are like, I, you know, maybe I could see a situation... Could someone no, there. I could see a situation where if somebody was flanked and grappled and demoralized mm-hmm. and you had aided them with like a plus four bonus to take and they're like, okay... And you roll like a six. And you're like, I hit on a three. I crit on a 13. What'd you roll? Seven. Eh, hero point. Yeah. And I want to, you know, because the odds that I'm going to do... Are good. Are pretty yeah. good that I'm going to not only still hit... But there's a good chance that I'll crit. Right? Yeah, like but it's a, still all and then up you roll to luck. And then that's what the that doesn't feel heroic. And the point of being a hero point is well, it should feel I would heroic. I actually argue that that's you just kind of said something very important. Goes back to what we talked about very much at the beginning of this. Your heroism, even from like a classical Greek Roman concept, it's kind of the definition not being reliant on luck. All right. Right. Luck is the purview of the scoundrel, mm. of the rogue, of the ne'er do well, of the of the you know, of the of the murder hobo, of the adventurer. Heroes don't rely on luck. They rely on something greater. Dr- they're driven by purpose. Right. Conviction. When you look at a movie. Heroes in the movie don't win because they got lucky. That would never feel right. They win because. They had, they were more determined because they were better. They were good. Yeah. Good they versus were, evil. You know, they had the morality, the center, the determination, the drive, the will to win. They didn't win, you know, Rocky Four when he fights Ivan Drago, okay, he doesn't get to the final round and then Drago trips and hits his head <laughs> on the fucking post and knocks out. And Rocky's like, da-na, da-na, yeah. no, no, Rocky wins because he, he wants it more. And he trained harder and he didn't take the shortcuts of steroids and all that crazy stuff. The Russian did. He worked for it and he's going to get rewarded for that, for being a hero. Hero and luck are opposites. But we're using hero points to, to do something lucky. Lucky. Correct. <laughs> right. Correct. Huh. So a lot of this would have gone away if it was called like luck point or fate point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe I guess. plot. Armor. I mean, hero point just seems like what they chose. I just, I guess I'm, I'm right. You spend a hero point. You, you, you spend a hero point. You would expect the outcome to be heroic. And guess what? Turns out, no, it's not. Long yeah, story they short, need to change that name or change the mechanic. Just call it a luck point, and then I'm like, I so oh, fuck, I was unlucky. So I got a, I got a hot question. Okay, painful question, okay. challenging question for us. Now, now, to be clear, our podcasts usually go a, a hair over two hours. Okay, we're at one hour fifty five. Okay, so we got time for so your. We, so we got maybe time for one last little your hot, segment. Your hot here. question. Yeah, yeah, it's on this topic. If right? you've been here for this long, you know this is the <laughs> final. This is the final segment. Okay, so, so I've been thinking about this obviously because I figured this is what we'd be talking about today. 
And we come in here and we talked about often, like, oh, Pathfinder 2 doesn't want you to die. We've talked about the mechanics of this fight. You know, it was a pretty much by the book, mm -hmm. 120 severe encounter. Death is a very small percentage, right? Um, do you guys just think that we're just whining and we're really weak and we suck at this game and it's actually just really hard and we're just a bunch of bitches? Well, I do think we rolled like shit. And so... We can complain but about it, but you we get what I'm rolled asking. better. Like, is the game good, and are we complaining about it because it was hard and we got our asses stomped? And I'm throwing myself into this, oh, too. I guess what you're saying. Right? Because it wasn't old D&D &D hard. <laughs> well, right, right. So what, yeah. are, what are we complaining about here? Like, I, I, okay, the, uh, the naming convention of hero points no, aside. No, I'm complaining because that part sucked. I no. think just dying would have been fine, but, but I, I'll tell critically you what, failing dying, too, was terrible. <laughs> no, I'll tell, you what I'm, I'll tell you what I'm complaining about. I'll tell you what I'm complaining about. And, I'll, and also, are we bitches? I mean that's that's so, obvious because um, people listening to this are going to ask. Well, it sounds like you guys just got your fucking asses stomped <laughs> and you're whining about it. Derek's going to go have another fucking month long mourning period for his character. Eh? I don't care as much about you guys. Can sound kind of weak, right? Vegas. Um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yes, partially we are. <laughs> yes, but the we're, problem we're old is whiny men. The problem is this game is selling me on this idea of. My character is heroic. My character is going to achieve in the face of adversity that my character is worth the hours of time that I put into mechanically building him or her. If you are going to create a system where your character can still be flippantly killed by the vagaries of luck and you're going to stick to that, then I don't necessarily want to play a game which is so mechanically complex and there's so much that goes into it. Like, for example, not that we do this all the time, but, you know, 3D printing is becoming much more popular, Hero Forge. I could see a situation where I'm going to make a character and it takes a long time to make a character, especially with the free archetype variant. And maybe uh, I go and get a mini and stuff like that and I get it 3D printed and whatever, you know. Like Bob. I got mine. Still sweet. So, he lives on as a as a nith now in a different campaign. You know, a great, a, <laughs> you know, so a great example of this for me is like um uh it's like incapacitation, right? So there's this rule in the game that says that you know my, bosses are incapacitation. If the rule applies to them, they, their save is one category better. I get what they're going with that, what they're trying to accomplish. But my thing is, why fuck around? Why not just say the boss is immune to that? Mm. You know, like w clearly that's what you want. Be easy if you know he had a solo descriptor. You know, just say boss can't be done. I mean, how many times have you played an MMO or a video game where you yeah, have this? You have some stunning attack, and the boss is just immune to stun. Right. That would just make the game lame. It's worse because now you're like, well, this boss is immune to stun. He's got in it's, that has incapacitation. No. There's still like a five or ten percent chance yeah. that the boss will critically fail it, which will make him stun. Right? We saw that with slow, which doesn't have the incapacitation rate. If you critically fail slow, you're slowed too. Which in a solo boss, one versus four party yeah, members, done. you go from having three actions to the party's twelve to one action. 
they could throw rocks at you and you'll die eventually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, spell you couldn't even cast yeah. a spell. Now, here's the thing. You're like, well, their will save is probably really high or fort save. I'm not sure which one slow uses. I think it uses fort. You can say, well, their fort save is pretty good. They're only going to critically fail on a one or a two or a one or just even a one. Yeah. And you go, okay, that still means that when you go into that fight, you're accepting that there's a 5% chance that it's horrible. Now, I like random nonsense and stuff and stupidity. Sure. Game, but this game has clearly said that that's not what their intention was. Right. And so if that's not what your intention is, why don't you just get rid of it entirely? If you want to make a game where heroes can, you know, bounce back and make sure that they're alive to play through the rest of your APs, design a game system that does that. Yeah, but did we just get unlucky? Like, I, I feel like what Aaron was saying was like, yeah, but it was tough. And we... We should have the threat of death, just like an old game would have been, but we just got really fucking unlucky. Sure. And so, yeah, that just sucked. Well, we Even got really unlucky, luck, and we used hero yeah. points, which we shouldn't well, have used. Well, that part, I, well, I, got, I have my own issues I'm on. trying to explore this, because this, this is what the patrons are going to be talking about, right? Like, like, got our asses kicked, we died, but we know, you know, like the first time, it's like, okay, well, that was a 200 XP fight, and that was, a, and it was an extreme. It was a double, it was extreme double plus. Extreme. Yeah, yeah, that ma- one, we should have died. Math is tight, right? Okay. <laughs> this was not that, right? This was by the book. And, you know, as Derek pointed out, and if you look, the River Drake's acid splash was identical to the Goblin Warrior's AoE attack. It was literally the same math, right? Just skinned differently. Kind of lame, really, if you think about it. But that's what it is, and that's fine. Um, that was a fight. You guys went in pretty much as most of you can prepare. Derek was down some spells. I was done one spell. One spell. 50% of my spells, but sure. Okay. So, so you know, everything seems set up to be right for that, and, and we got stomped. And, and you know, again, yes, hero points certainly played into that, right? But I guess what I'm asking is, is this game bad? Are we bad? Like, no, like, no, here's the problem. Like, here's the problem. If you presume that Pathfinder 2, and I do, I'm assuming that Pathfinder 2 is trying to create an experience or right. emulate an experience similar to playing God of War or Diablo 3 right. on your PC or your console, right? Where you and your friends, you get together, maybe play online, and then you go in, you go through the adventure, and it's really cool. Or you're playing by yourself, and it's got all these cutscenes and the quick time events. And there's all sorts of plot, and, you know, and the, the game story revolves. And you can make some choices, but for the most part, you're going along the rep, the path that the event, the you know, games nowadays have directors and writers and script consultants, sure. right? And you're going on a journey, okay, and pushing some buttons along the way. The game is pretty much designed for you to be able to beat it. Otherwise, I mean, people would never get to the end, and then people would complain about it, and we'd get a horrible score on Metacritic. Instead, it's just enough challenge that you have to kind of stay awake, and then you go through it, and you beat the game. But if you do fail, you just reload and play. I, I, I got God of War the other day because it now came out on PC. I'm very bad at video games. I die constantly. Right. <laughs> but I died in, like, the first boss fight. But... You know, like three times. But you're like, oh, Kratos, and he's the son of Zeus, and he's going on this mat. And you're like, all right, well, who are you making next? I don't I don't know what to tell you. No, son, because he died too. Uh, <laughs> I guess, I don't know, Bill from the fishing village? I don't, who, who who's going next? Bill, the god of agriculture. You know, because, yeah, because because someone goes like, well, we're, we're going to keep playing the, we're going to keep playing the adventure. We got, we got to beat it. And you're like, well, I can't just make Kratos again. He was kind of a unique character. I, I don't know. Bill, the son of the goddess of agriculture, yeah. uh, you know, then that, that character dies. And you're like, oh, shit. I don't know. Uh, Going down the list. Hercules, his third cousin. Yeah. I don't know. Like, who do you want me to pick? 
And so like the point is, is like you are playing that character because that's the character that's going to succeed. And the video game basically says, because here's the thing, think of it like, um, like a timeline from Kratos's perspective. He never died. Right. Right. Because he when, never reloaded when he again. died, the reload takes him back to that moment yep. and he never experienced that timeline. Right. So in his mind, he accomplished all of his goals and, and, and from a certain point of view, oh, you, it was super easy, yeah, barely, super an, easy, barely an inconvenience, <laughs> right? But from the, from, 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 but from that fictional world, right? Like you get to the end of the game and like, you know, you're maybe you're, you're monologuing with the villain and he's like, you have been through many challenges. And then like the hero says something like, and I have bested them all. And you're like thinking, well, no, no, actually I haven't. I died I, like I, 10 times. I died like 10 times. <laughs> but, Took a little bit. But the, but the character in the game can talk that shit because right. from his perspective, he never died. Heroes in D&D, even if you assume like tr- resurrection is like very right. common, they, like they, don't even get, they don't even get to have that flex. Right. They're just like, no, we got killed a bunch. <laughs> they were hauling us out in a stretch. I mean, like <laughs> it became a joke in our third edition campaign that Tim Carpenter, a.k.a. Gwildor, right. his character at high level died so many times. The party's clerics had to keep resurrecting him. The gods got tired of it and just <laughs> imbued him with so much positive energy. Right. He would just automatically raise from the dead, Jesus style, after f- ten, D10 yeah. <laughs> rounds of being dead. No, this actually became a major plot point in a later campaign. This became a major plot point. Tim was uh, immortal. He was an immortal. But like my point is, is like, is that the kind of game we want to have where the heroes are basically just like, throwing their bodies like it's the roof of the fucking Chernobyl, you know, like, I mean, I mean, that those campaigns were straight. <laughs> I don't like those campaigns either, but I, I'm just saying like, hmm. I, it's weird for me because again, you get this, you get, you get the fiction. It, and when I play a video game, I can buy into that pretend fiction that my character is this badass, right? Because I know that if it goes bad, I'll reload. And from the point of view of my character, right. he didn't, actually he didn't die. actually die. And he never actually Alternate lost timeline discarded right. because you could even say like, no, like from the perspective of my character, there is no coming back for the dead. This is it. He gets one shot, one opportunity, right? right? MMOs stretch this a little bit. And I kind of lose some interest in them because mm-hmm. you're like, but when everybody dies, they just appear at the, you know, the graveyard and then their spirit walks to their corpse and just comes back to life. And yeah. Hell, the NPCs do the same thing because if I kill them, they respawn. Yeah. So like we live in this weird world where everyone no one is, never everyone's dies. immortal. Like how does this, this is kind of weird. Yeah. And so it's like when you get to Pathfinder, when you get to tabletop role-playing games, you're like, they're trying to set. Now here's the thing. If they were trying to sell you on the premise of you're a nobody, you'll end up in the gutter or dead anyways. Right. That's fine. Then it's like, I'm okay with that. Um, because now me dying pointlessly in some fight against goblins I'm like, hey man, that's just brutal, man. I told you. I, I just ended there with my, you know what? Better to better to die in the dungeon with a sword in my hand than to die of hunger on the streets like my character would have because he was just some, you know, okay. peasant scum. So we're not playing an AP though. We are playing a game that's driven by you guys. Mm-hmm. Like like I mentioned several times because Derek asked again, you know, you guys could have just left. We should have you know, we hate the sound. And, and like, we have other places I we did, can go. I, I did say that several times. They're we like, should oh, have left. Archaea sounds sweet, guys. Let's get on a boat. Let's yeah. go to the west and hang out with the wizards. Do you know why you didn't leave? Because I felt like we were supposed to go that way. That's why. Yeah, but you know. You, I I'm know, telling you, you know that's not like true. Were supposed because to. Hey, you were playing it like a video game. What? I play it like, the, apparently the town's on fire. Something's at the end there. It's causing the fire. You told us Derek we knows. left. Bob wanted, to get, Bob wanted to get to the end. The, Screw the, the town. The Drake would kill everything. Derek, or Aaron, not, you said that we're on. He said this person was good. Not our problem. We're on so the eastern edge good. of the town with the wilderness beyond. Yep. Derek could have been like, okay, that sounds good. Uh, we go to the east down the road where there isn't a burning town and, and attacking goblins. I would have been like this, literally. Now, 
Now here, close the book. Now wait. Push it aside. Okay. Now wait. Now Aaron is right. We could have done that. Yes. But we're playing Pathfinder Two. Yes. We've got things on our sheet called hero points. <laughs> we don't do that because that's not what hero. You know, it's like that line from Thor Ragnarok. Because that's what heroes do. Yes. Except when Thor goes and then confronts the impossible odds. He's also immortal. Okay. <laughs> right. But but he's, he's, he's got his, a very convenient scriptwriter helping him out. His opponent was even more immortal. Right. He has a very convenient scriptwriter helping him out. Yes. And a lot of players have a very convenient scriptwriter helping them out. <laughs> and that's called their GM who's fudging all the time. Yeah. Right. And so when you decide to go, no, that's plot, what heroes. Plot armor. We need some what, plot armor. That's what heroes do. That's what heroes do. Well, we did that. Yeah. Because you're right. Fleeing to the east would not be heroic. And that's not what we sat down to play this game to be. The plot armor is the AP. Well, no, because the AP itself doesn't actually have any sort of protection. Right. Against you. It's, just, it's you, designed so that you can beat it, though. The plot armor is the math of the game as long as you fight very simplistic fights and then when it goes really out of whack a GM who's fudging. Okay. Yeah, which I think is so dumb. And they're fudging so that, you know. Heroic. Now flip this around though. Think about this. Fudge stuff, so you could be heroic. I don't think when we talk about uh, heroism in these concepts, I don't think they're actually heroic. I don't think it's heroic playing if they're an AP because you as a player are not really making any decisions. Think about it. Compare it to this. Okay. Well, if that's, you. But that's not, that doesn't mean you're not heroic. Had, saving the town could be heroic. You're supposed to in the AP. You're well, not making yeah, a choice. But your character doesn't know that. You guys had a real choice the other night. Very true. And, and the game would have ended. I don't even think I would have penalized anyone, right? Like if there had been a champion, maybe be like, all right, well, how okay, that okay. I think I think what we're getting caught up on, though, is the modern definition of heroics yeah. and the classic definition of heroics. The classic definition of heroics is the decision yes. to stay, to fight. Mm-hmm. The modern definition of heroics is winning. Against all odds, I, I think that actually changed. Right, so I'm, yeah, defi- I I'm definitely think... talking about the decision point. You're talking about the decision, yeah, because That's running away doesn't sound heroic. Choosing to do a heroic action, right? Choosing to. My point is, do Bob, X. Bob, there can't be the choice if you can't run away. So I have to give you, and it has to be a real choice. I have to give you the ability to run away, and then go and play the campaign and have fun without saving that town. Yeah, because right. when you choose to save the town, and if you if you had chosen and had survived, then that's the thing about it. Right, and, and where the AP because there was no AP, right. it didn't say you're a hero. Whereas if you, you knew you were a hero okay. because you actually overcame the odds and won. Whereas I think if you asked a large percentage of people, uh, especially of a of a, I wouldn't even say of a younger generation. I think if you asked a lot of people nowadays, mm-hmm. let's say the party was in a town, they had they made no choices. And maybe it's part of the AP or something. Uh, a dragon attacks. And the heroes make no choices. They're just like in combat with right. a big dragon. Right. And it's going to, you know, it's breathing fire and it's attacking the party and destroying the town. But the party has made no choice to fight right, this right. thing. It's just happening. And then the party plays it and beats it. Maybe because the dice, the math of the game is set up so that they will win, even though it'll feel like it's a tough fight. Sure. They'll go down a couple times, but get brought back up and win because that's how the math of the game works. Or because the DM is fudging. Regardless, at the end of that. A lot of players will be on their Discord going, oh, that was so heroic. Oh, we're such badass heroes. Because well, what, what made you heroes? Heroes, uh, we fought a big thing and won. That was the heroic part. The decision, well, what, 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 tell me about how you made that. Well, I didn't make any decision. It just, the fight just started well, happening. I, I decided to show up to my friend's game that night. Right. And it was a tough choice because I was thinking about watching Netflix instead. That's right. And so that, and I think that's where it Dragon gets, would not have been dead without me. Okay. And I, yeah, right. And, um, you know, and I think that's where, I think that's where the line gets blurred. And so I think people mm. expect outcomes. Yeah. You know, mm. and I that's think. That's a good take. Yeah. And so I think, you know, um, 
Uh, I definitely value the choice. You know, uh, I think the boldest decision, and the only reason I think they got away with it, was because uh, this was already a written storyline. But like one of the biggest, best decisions, boldest decisions that the Marvel Cinematic Universe ever made was Infinity War, which ends with, I hate to say this, but spoiler alert for Infinity War, if somehow you fucking miss that. But it ends with Thanos uh, killing Vision, uh, getting the Time Stone, uh, sorry, the Mind Stone, getting hit, but snapping his fingers and wiping out half a life and then escaping. Yeah. And then half a life gets erased. The end. And then the movie ends. And it was like, well, holy shit, just what happened? Our heroes just lost? And I think the only reason they could get away with that is because people, like, enough, knew people, part enough people knew that there was a part two right. and, that, read the comic books. and that had read the comic books and that there was enough out there. But if they had just straight up done that, you know, awesome. And, and again, spoiler alert, but like one of the reasons why I, I'm interested, like I think one of the reasons why the, the new Spider-Man movie was so good is because it also ended on a very uh, questionable, yeah, uh, you know, a down, a down, downer, I guess. I haven't watched it yet. But the funny thing is most people expect, rightfully so, and they definitely did this in the movie uh, with the second movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, Empire Strikes Back. Right. Hans and Carbonite. Luke lost his hand. Vader's his father. The Rebel Alliance has fled. We're fleeing across the galaxy. We're split together. What are we going to do? Well, the chips are down. That's just an opportunity for us to come back up. Right. Whereas like a Pathfinder. Nope, like, you're done. You're just done. You're just dead. <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> you just lost. You're just dead. Calvin gains another level. <laughs> so oh I, I think that's I think that's where the, the confusion lies is because and here's why D&D. Pathfinder are not good at simulating media. They're not good at simulating books and movies and TV shows. And people are trying to use them to simulate books and movies and TV shows. All right, easy way to fix this, right? And make more money for for Paizo. Everyone should buy a copy of the venture, and the players should go and read the part that they're supposed to do, <laughs> and then they do that part. Right, and you know what that's called? A script. Exactly. It's called a script. But look, look how well that worked for the MCU. <laughs> That's right. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you don't see Thor going like, I went for the head. Well, no, you can't go for the head, dude. Got to survive so he can snap his finger so it's really tragic. And why, why wouldn't I just chop his head off? Yeah. Right. Makes total sense. I mean, total sense. Uh, no, you got to. He's wearing armor. His head's unprotected. Yeah, it's it, big. No, yeah, hit him in the armor. Hit him in the armor, kind of in the chest. So he yeah, kind of. Breaks like, through. Wouldn't that be badass? Like, so he's kind of hurt a little bit, but not actually dead. So that. But wait, but then wouldn't he totally be able to, like, snap his gauntlet then and, like, wipe out half of life on Earth uh, in the yes. universe? Yes, but we need him to do that. And, that, and that's going to be more well, dramatic now, for the mission. Now, when you're at the table and you've got that Thanos survives the attack and the, the player who's playing Thor and is, wants to chop his head off, now you got to come up with all sort of bullshit. But if the player read ahead of time, right, and he knows that he's not supposed to do that, oh, this is gonna set for a sweet movie. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it, got yeah. it. So just pretend. So just pretend. Act. Right, you're surprised. And oh that is my act. And that's God. called acting, and that's called movie. And right. wow, you're like, wow, that seems like that would work really well. And it does. It's called movie making, right. or script writing, yeah. or TV shows. Endgame was amazing, right? And it was, and you can't deny that. But trying to take that <laughs> and and modify it to this format, I think is a complete failure. Well, I'll tell you this. It's it's a complete failure if you rely on archaic 50-year-old rule sets, which Pathfinder 2 and 5th edition D&D and 4th edition D&D and 3rd edition D&D and all those other editions of D&D are. They're all based on this very, very primitive mindset that does not allay, enable you to achieve those results without either uh, the small chance of complete and total disappointment and failure or a lot of, you know, behind-the-scenes waving, hand-waving fudging 
or clumsy, klutzy mechanics like yeah. hero points. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's 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 the podcast. That's a podcast. <laughs> that is a podcast. Yeah. No, I think it was great. I mean, that's um, you know, I want to say uh, if you've stuck with us for the past two hours, uh, thanks a lot for. Can't uh, believe it. <laughs> yeah, can't believe it. Um, of course, uh, you are most encouraged to join our Patreon. It's uh, it's thriving. It's a huge, huge and growing community full of really amazing people. Lots of community games being run now by lots. If of you're interested in patrons. playing, if you're interested in playing Pathfinder Two or some other role playing games, um, our Discord uh, uh, community, which is part of our Patreon has a variety of active community games. We have a fully functional, fully upgraded uh, Forge server for running Foundry VTT games. Um, so not only is it a place to t- talk about playing games, it's a place to play them as well. And if you went there to talk about it, there is like, like what, like 70% of the community is GMs with... With like 20 plus know, years of yeah, experience. Yeah, everyone that keeps joining is like, well, I've been playing for 30 years. I'm like, I'm barely 30. You know, I'm barely above 30 years old. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 has, it has definitely attracted a community of 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 experts it's it's actually really nice and so there's but, a lot of but opinions. you don't have to, you don't have to be we have you know we have someone who joined and has never really played role-playing games before there's that, a few 20 year olds i'm young yeah. 30s mm-hmm. but i think that's actually good because no, now good. i can ask questions and get a ton of advice from people that have played not just pf2 or yeah. not just 5e yeah. games that i've never even played oh yeah, yeah. there's lots of awesome. different games on there right. awesome. so you know check out our youtube channel uh we do a variety of uh, live streams we have an actual play for pathfinder 2 there as well and of course we have a variety of videos covering a variety of pathfinder 2 and just role-playing game combat in general tactics, concepts night school yeah night school combat and tactics um um the nightlife where we just kind of uh, talk about you know philosophical concepts and of course you know the patreon where uh we spend a lot of our time so I want to say uh, I want to see what Derek thinks about the amazing spells in Pathfinder 2. <laughs> Those uh, live streams are ongoing and also also on YouTube. Yep, exactly. We did. It took us five, uh, five, two and a half hour ish yeah. live streams to get through level one of all the spells in Pathfinder 2. My hope is that each level will take a little bit less time because they do get smaller as you go up in level. So uh, hopefully by the time, uh, you know, maybe March or something is over, we'll have made it through all the spells. And then people are like, oh, can you do all the focus yeah. spells? I think um, someone wanted you to do the items too. Yeah, yeah. someone wanted to make <laughs> then, then the new books will come out. By then, the new books will have come right. out. We'll yep. have to do we'll have to do update videos. So, yep. all right. Well, thanks a lot, everybody, for uh, hanging with us. I uh, just want to say, on behalf of the Knights of Last Call, thank you so much for uh, for joining us and for listening. And on behalf of uh, Aaron and Bob, I want to say thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time on Knights of Last Call. <laughs> <laughs>